Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Monday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Brant Daughtry and Tom Peavy with me as we recap everything that happened inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday between Auburn and Sanford. We'll have full recap of that game, how both sides of the ball looked, implications moving forward, injuries, all that sort of stuff from the Auburn-Sanford game on Saturday. We'll also talk more about the world of college football as there was a couple of significant upsets uh, kind of involving SEC teams on Saturday and some of the biggest storylines from college football over the weekend. And, of course, as we progress through the show, get to the final hour of the show, we'll have a sports call 5 at 5. We'll also have the best and worst of the weekend, of course, throughout the show, we're going to have your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 9 if you want to give us a call this afternoon. Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here on this Monday afternoon. We'll start with you, Brant. Hope you had a great weekend. I know you and Brooks were up in the press box at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Hope that went well, and, and good to see you again. It did go well. Uh, I made the decision to bring binoculars this time, and it was a very good decision. Not that the press box is a bad view, but uh, I think having binoculars to watch a football game is is always going to show you a little more detail. So uh, that was good to see. I think overall a good showing by Auburn, maybe not great, but uh, I think the defense continues to play very well. Um, I think schematically, I'm I'm really starting to love what Ron Roberts does as a defensive coach. Uh, offense, I think, is going to get truly tested for the first time this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, you you. I, I, the game plan was very clear in this game. You wanted to get Peyton Thorne some reps in that passing game. You wanted him to throw the ball a lot, maybe exercise some of those demons, get him a little more comfortable in this offense. Um, I think with the way that you know it, you, you were going up against Samford, and certainly the competition isn't as strong as it's going to be going forward, but you needed him to get those live reps so that maybe going forward he can uh, make those throws against better competition and maybe the receivers can get open. And I, I think we're going to see the fruits of that in this upcoming Saturday. I'm very interested to see how this game coming up against A&M goes. Absolutely. And then Tom Peavy also on the show. Tom, hope you had a great weekend. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, good weekend. Uh, busy weekend. And, uh, yeah, kind of piggybacking on the Auburn stuff. Uh, liked a lot of what I saw. I mean, there were still some concerning things there. Uh, you know, it's concerning anytime you're playing Samford and it's zero to zero going into the second quarter. Um, but, but they worked out a lot of things. Uh, people were definitely questioning some of the play calling in the red zone, but I think a lot of that was the coaching staff just working on some different things. Uh, I really, why aren't we running the ball? Well, I think the coaching staff kind of realized like, look, we can, we can line up in our, in our regular formation and punch this in, but Hey, let's take a chance to try to work on a couple things. And, you know, some of it didn't work. Hey, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, time to move on from it. Uh, a good win. Uh, you move on to a very important game this upcoming weekend at 11 a.m. out in College Station. 
So uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to uh, uh, talking some Braves if we get to it. A very miserable showing uh, down in Miami where uh, you have to kind of think there might be a little bit of a hangover from from uh, winning the division title as the Braves just absolutely get smashed in a sweep down in Miami. Uh, you just hope it's a hangover and not a, a bearer of things to come as you start getting towards October. But good weekend overall. Ready to get to talking about it. So let's get going then. Auburn and Sanford as the Tigers and the Bulldogs meet up again inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Auburn winning 45-13. to As Tom said, there was no score after one period. Auburn, believe, only punted once in that game, if I uh, if memory I serves. Think that's right. I was not able to watch live. I was, again, as, as I've said multiple times, I was in uh, the Tampa area Saturday night without ESPN+. Plus. However, I do have it at home, so when I got back last night, I was able to watch uh, the full game in its entirety, and so I was able to see everything after the fact. So let's talk decision-making to go, or, or I guess game plan, and then we can get into decision-making. Last week, we spent really the majority of the preview looking at pass to run ratio what they would do with Peyton Thorne that sort of stuff in the in the lead up they did throw the ball often uh, they did clearly try to have a increased comfort level once they left the game with Peyton Thorne so let me just ask you this are you more comfortable with Peyton Thorne leaving the game than you were entering the game I think so. I think my confidence level in Peyton Thorne is higher than it was. Uh, I'm still not going to give him the keys to the kingdom and, and let and build the entire thing out of him, but I do think that he showed that he can make a couple of reads. I think those quick RPOs are his game. That is, I, I talked about this last Monday. I wanted more of those quick RPO throws, and it, that entire first drive uh, was entirely RPOs, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, most of the game was. Uh, they pretty much built the entire plane out of those pre-snap checks. And going forward, I think that that's where Auburn's strength is going to be. Let Peyton Thorne make very quick decisions, very early decisions with where he's going to go to the ball. Because when they did try to give him multiple reads, he did just kind of lock onto his first receiver. That uh, His second interception in the end zone where he tried to throw that deep post, that was what it was. I can't remember the wide receiver that was open, but everyone Jire Shorter. The shorter yeah. was wide open uh, around midfield for an easy first down. But he tried to take the long ball. It was double covered, gets picked off in the end zone. He never came off his first read. Uh, and that's something that he's going to have to work on going forward or the coaching staff is going to have to work on going forward. Um, but those, those quick throws, I think he looked really good doing those. Um, he had a couple of deep balls that looked really good uh, other than the one that was picked off. Uh, I, I think that Peyton Thorne got to showcase his ability, and by the way, uh, ran for, what, 130 yards in this game, 120-something. Uh, so uh, by far the best rushing performance of his career. I think I looked at it during the game. His career high previous to that was 47 yards, so he broke through that pretty quickly. I'm interested to see if that continues as you get into better defenses. I don't think it will, not at that rate, but he showed that he can be a threat. Teams are going to have to respect it moving forward, and I think that Overall, Peyton Thorne got better in this game. Tom, what about you? Same question. Are you more confident in Peyton Thorne leaving this game than you were entering this game? Um, neutral because I was already confident in him. I, I'm not any more or less confident. I was already confident. The one thing that I will say is 
he proved me correct with the one thing. Um, I, one thing I had been talking about was from from what I had gone back and watched film on him when he was at Michigan State is he can run. He I, I compared him to, to a lot of people to to Bo Nix in a you know not as good as Bo Nix but still the ability to run because I saw it on film at Michigan when he was at Michigan State and it was going into this whole idea of there, there's no need to keep swapping out quarterbacks like this because Peyton Thorne actually he does have the ability to run he is not just a pure statue back there and we saw it so uh, it just kind of proved to me what I had seen on film uh, I I do like the way that they stretch the field and he, he really had some nice touch on some passes but uh, as has been mentioned uh, a couple of bad decisions. One led to a to a uh, interception when he had a guy wide open. If you just check it down and come back closer to you, there's a guy wide open. Um, so, but I but I think going forward he's got to be the guy unless something happens to him. And uh, he he has shown that he can run the ball. And, and I agree with what Brant said. Those, those quick uh, read options, those those RPO type things. He has shown that he can be a threat with his feet. And that's going to give defenses something they have to look at. Auburn also showed that they do have the ability to go downfield and stretch things out. So that's something else defenses are going to have to look at. So basically his performance against uh, against Sanford kind of checked off the boxes that I was looking for to give other teams something to have to look to uh, to be able to stop this offense. But uh, I'm confident with him uh, until he does something to say that I just don't have that confidence. I mean, he's the guy that – I, I said they should have ridden with. Uh, they are riding with him, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I think it was – I guess I'm not going to be quite as positive as you guys. Close. Um, I thought it was good news, bad news with, with Thorne's performance against Sanford because, quite frankly, I'm not sure the rushing is real. I'm still a little skeptical of that. It was Sanford. His career high was, uh, as Brand said, 40-something yards, 50-something yards at Michigan State. He did not run successfully against Cal. I just don't think that's real yet. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to see it against an SEC team now, uh, named uh, other something other than Vanderbilt so before I start to factor that in as like that's going to be a real thing. It might, but I still have my doubts there. The good news is I thought when Thorne threw the football, I thought he was incredibly accurate. I thought that he threw a lot of catchable balls. And that even on deep stuff, he made a couple of really nice passes on deep balls. Uh, he found fair weather a lot. He got hooks involved. He obviously does like Jay Fair. Jay Fair's been incredibly productive through three games. I thought he did a lot of good things with the actual when he made those throws. I thought the bad news, though, is that it was still very clear that there's some really bad decisions still being made. Uh, as you guys have already both mentioned, to, again, be abundantly clear, on that second interception in the end zone, that's a horrible read. Right, you you know, Jair Shore is wide open in the middle of the field. That's a 10- to 15-yard play if he makes it, even with just an okay throw. It's a first down. It's something that right across the middle you got to see, and he throws in the double, almost triple coverage, and a pick. So that's a bad decision. The second down play before the first interception – it was a interesting RPO because I don't see RPOs like this too often where you usually throw outside towards the back corner of an end zone for a fade. Usually there's slants or stuff that's kind of reading like a linebacker for an RPO or something. Usually you're not reading, I don't know, a DB or one-on-one coverage. But 
that second down play that was a fade that was incomplete in the left corner of the end zone in the first drive, that was an RPO. And if he hands the ball off, that's a touchdown. And he threw it a one-on-one fade, uh, did not work the way it did against Cowles and complete, and that led to the third down play where he extends the play and then kind of tries to fit it in there, gets tipped up and intercepted. I don't even think the third down play is a horrible decision. I think you do have to be a little bit smarter in a against a real team. Again, no disrespect to Sanford, but against a real team, you can't turn the ball over, period. So you've got to make whatever decision you got to make. It's got to be with the intent to, like, at the very least, three points are going on the board. Against Sanford, I was you know, fit it in there. That's fine. You you know the consequences are not as dire to a turnover in the red zone, but it was the second down decision where you had a touchdown if you ran it there, and it was the the wrong decision there on that RPO. And I just go back to the beginning of the year, and maybe I take too much stock into it, but even in that UMass game, the the plays that were not good were deemed poor decisions in terms of pre-snap slash where to go with the ball. There's nothing wrong with this kid's accuracy. There's nothing wrong with this kid's arm. That's the good news, and that is good news. Like, if he makes the right decision, it's not going to be wildly inaccurate. I know there was one such pass of that at Cal. Fine. Everyone has an inaccurate throw at times. But in general, he is an accurate passer. So that's good news because there's been other quarterbacks the last couple of years you can't say that about, okay? You can't say that about what we saw from Robbie Asher last year, what we saw from TJ Finley, all that. So that's a good box to check. But there are still a couple of key decisions being missed, and I get that no one's perfect. I'm not trying to say he should be. Uh, but there's a couple of decisions I missed that are leading to really poor results, not just like, ah, oh, second and ten, you could have gone there and it go there and all right live the play another down it's like hey this caused a turnover hey this caused you not scoring a touchdown in the red zone or at, at the goal line so that stuff is still semi-concerning but i think that as a whole to answer the question i asked both brant and tom i do feel a little bit better about it because i now know because they did throw a lot and c was clamoring for it i think a lot of people wanted them to see uh to throw a, a good bit more and they certainly did I, I feel better about what I've seen with my eyeballs on what he can and can't do. And look, he might be able to be a running threat. I mean, it, it's the, the flip side of that. It's like he did have a 120 yard game, and you know he's clearly, as Tom says, he's not a statue. Okay, great. I you know, but I'm I would still say that if you think he's going to have a bunch of design runs in SEC play, no, he he's not he's not me doing that. And there's going to be some linebackers he will not be outrunning, where in terms he made Sanford's linebackers look incredibly slow because they are FCS and they are, in fact, slow. Uh, so, again, I don't know what production standpoint it'll look like. It might be able to work, look pretty good in certain situations. Have a lot more thoughts on it, of course, but we need to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, want to talk more about what went on in the red zone, some of the turnovers and that sort of thing. Uh, and then a little bit more about uh, some of these uh, running backs. I had another stable backs. All four of the main running backs got uh, at least a couple of touches, really closer to five touches at least. So we'll talk a little bit about running backs, talk a little bit about red zone. When we come back, you're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Looking 
for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back to Sports Call and Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Dostry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. Of course, a lot to talk about uh, from Saturday inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Just spent some time on Peyton Thorne. Again, coming up in just a little bit, we'll have more thoughts on, uh, on red zone, on running backs, uh, defense, that sort of thing. Got to break it all down. But first, let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing good, guys. Hey, welcome back, and I hope you had an enjoyable time uh, in Tampa. Thank you, sir. I certainly did. It was a great time. All right. I enjoy hearing your comments. Uh, I'm going to ask you to dig a little deeper in a few minutes. Uh, but first, let's start with a little, I guess, to me, kind of humorous uh, quote here. Uh, you probably know it, but I'll see if you know it. When asked the question on Sunday's episode of 60 Minutes on CBS, the following coach answered with the question being, who is right now the best co- coach in college football? That coach said, let me see a mirror so I can look at it. Yeah, that's Dion. Yeah. Really? I mean, gosh, man. Uh, I don't know what he gets paid for doing those commercials with uh, Nick Saban, uh, but that's what you're going to say? Uh, I, I, I'm sure Nick Saban's uh, having a laugh over that one, right? Well, I, I, he, he also sang the praises of Nick Saban uh, and talked about how influential Nick Saban is to him and, and how much he admires Nick Saban. I mean, he, he was – he was very open about how much he uh, admires and respects Nick Saban. Oh, I understand that. And yet, you're going to say, on the other hand, well, by the way, I am the best coach in college football? Yeah, I think that's probably like tongue-in-cheek. That's Dion being Dion. Yeah, I'm tired of his crap. I'm glad we didn't get him. Okay, and <laughs> moving on to college football again, guys. How about this quote? I'm told if he doesn't get it going this year, A&M will find that money. Who's this coming from, guys? I just saw it. Uh, I mean, they're, they're obviously talking about Jimbo, but I, I right. don't know who said it. Bruce Feldman of CBS. Okay. There's the laser says on Jimbo Fisher's future at Texas A&M. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it's they had one, they've obviously underperformed for his entire tenure other than the, the, the shortened year. But at least with – Every year prior to last, they had at least been a competent team, but last year was the first time they had been completely awful. If they do that again and that was not just a one-off, then at some point you're going to have to just try something else. So we know that they'll come up with the money uh, if they need to. 
but uh, it's still early this year. We'll see. I mean, their offense looks better to me. I don't. Uh, their defense was awful against Miami, so we'll see what that uh, defensive performance is like against Auburn. But uh, you know, the, the, I think the Petrino move so far what was a good move. We'll we'll see how it progresses throughout the year. But yeah, they're going to have to win at some point. Yeah, well, what we don't know so far, and we'll find out uh, next few weeks definitely is A and M really that good or is Mississippi State really that darn bad? I think it's a combination of both. I don't think Texas A&M is bad as people think they are, but I also think Mississippi State is pretty darn bad. Yeah. Uh, and what is um, Jimbo's uh, buyout, by the way? Uh, it's, it's Whatever's still left 50. of that 49. Yeah, it's, yeah, it goes down. It goes by seven every year. That's what he's getting paid. It was it forty nine last year. It was forty nine at the start of it. I just okay, don't know what year in the contract then, he's in. I guess forty two then. Well, I thought he signed some kind of papers that he was a he was a coach forever till eternity. Oh uh, no, 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 not that. He did not no, sign that. No. no, no, okay. All right, now about Saturday, guys. You know, I'm gonna call this category. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Category. Okay. Who knew? that Peyton Thorne could actually run, right? I did. I didn't think he outrun uh, that many times. And who knew that our running game among four running backs could only amass 87 freaking yards against an FCS defensive line? Yeah, Are that, you kidding me? That Are is, you kidding me? That is by far the most concerning thing from that game. We were going to talk about this later, but the offensive line did not look great, and that's weird considering they've looked pretty good so far this year. Yeah. Well, what the crap happened, guys? We couldn't get more than three point something, three point one, I think, uh, average uh, run uh, yards uh, per, uh, per running back. We had four of them try it. Yeah, no, I, again, it's the, concerning. Yeah, it's it, it was not good. I mean, clearly, it was not good. I still, uh, as I said, I would, both positive or negative, still take way more out of a Cal game than I do a Sanford game, and so I'm still not. I'm not worried about it. Personally, uh, I well, think. I am. Well, I, you worry about a lot, though, Steve. So yeah, I, I. But this is no. This is more than weird. This is abomination. I Force just don't think guy. that they had an extra edge to them. They also got two injuries throughout the the play of their starting offensive line. I think injuries are something that you should be rightfully concerned about. If Stutz or Miller, well, we got, yeah. Um, come on, you mean to tell me that? I know. I know. I'm not saying it's good. Things? I'm just saying that they were pl- plenty good against Cal. And they were they were uh, in terms of running the ball with running backs, and they were obviously great against UMass. So uh, we'll see how it pretends to SEC play. Again, they'll have to be a lot better than that. But I I'm just not overly concerned. Well, when I saw FCS talented players on their defensive side get into the backfield and stop us from making a fourth and inches first down, I'm saying crap. And then we can't make another fourth down. Uh, play on uh, one yard or less than a yard twice. Uh, this is not, we're supposed to be able to at least out talent them and make a, uh, a one yard or less than a half a yard uh, fourth down play, guys. That happened twice in the game. Yeah, no, Steve, I, Steve, like I, Ryan said, if it, if it happens again, then yeah, be concerned about it. But so far this year, this is the anomaly, not the norm. So, Yes, something to take note of, but not something to be super concerned about right now. I just don't, I and and I just don't think that they 
had an, uh, an extra edge to that game. I think that they, in the run game, thought that they would just move them around and didn't have, uh, again, a little bit extra in the tank there. And I think their goal was to protect the passer and to, and to pass more. I think they only allowed one sack in the game, so they did completely fine in that regard. And I just think that, again, in the game that mattered the most so far this year against Cal, running backs averaged five and a half yards a carry. So I'm going to put more weight into that than a game against an FCS team that they still had no problem winning. Okay. And then let's go to even uglier special teams. Are you kidding me? Two muff punts. One uh, was a cover, thankfully. Uh, and I thought, you know, uh, Jay Fair is supposed to be the good hands man, and he – Muffs uh, the, the, the punt. Uh, guys, uh, now we're looking for some punt uh, return people according to Freeze, right? Yeah. I mean, they are because Keontae Scott's going to be out for a while. He is, he's, uh, he's I believe, having surgery on ankle, on an ankle problem. And so that 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 is something that is going to be uh, concerning. They're going to be asking guys just to simply catch the ball. Forget the fact that Scott was actually a pretty good returner, making some pretty big big plays off of it. They just got to catch it first. And Javarius dropped one. Jay Fair dropped one. It's a different kind of catch. I know it's weird. You'd think wide receivers would would all be able to, to, to do it, but they but they don't. And and that's why that's why you don't always see the best wide receiver go and and, and return punch just because he's the best wide receiver. It's a different it's a different animal. So uh, they they do need to figure it out though. I know at the end of the game, Jalen Stinson. Uh, uh, was able to, to to catch that punt, so I don't know if that that puts them up to number one there or not. But it was it was not good. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ron, because uh, I truly am naive here. Is there a different skill set involved versus being a receiver and catching you know passes versus catching a uh, a, a ball on a kickoff or, or a yes, punt? There, there there's a, a massive difference massive between difference. the two. Yeah. just because of the way right. the ball travels. Because at you. again, you wouldn't have Keontae Scott out there if if it was all the same to everybody. You wouldn't have had Scott, who's a DB out there, or Jalen Simpson, who's a DB out there ahead of you know your your most dynamic athlete, your most dynamic wide receiver, and that would go for all these schools. So I mean, it's. You got people running directly at you as you kind of stand there waiting on an island. You've got a different rotation on the ball coming from a much different angle. A different way Uh, of catching it. You know, wide receivers, you're taught more to catch with your hands when you're fielding a punt or a kickoff like that. You're you're actually supposed to cradle that into your body, which is completely different than when you're catching a pass from a quarterback. So, yeah, it's a completely different beast. Okay, that's what I want to hear from you guys. I was wondering how can these people who receivers be. So inept, uh, letting a, a pass just go through their hands. Okay, uh, moving on, guys. We got a lot of injuries, and some of them may not be returning for a few games. Uh, um, these are pretty, uh, I think, pretty important uh, injuries. It looks like Keontae Scott is having surgery, right? Yes, yep. that that one is significant. Yep. All right, and then I saw they were taping up Ukraine's uh, uh, Hunter by uh, his uh, ankle was. during the game. Hunter, yeah, he returned uh, after that. People, uh, other people are uh, – what about Luke Deal? Yeah, I'm not sure on the status yeah. of the yeah. deal. There's, there's no that word on That was on a kick right return, now. I believe. Yeah. Ah, um, so here we go with a great deal of injuries going to an SEC game. And I uh, saw the line from Vegas. Uh, it started at seven, six and a half. Now it's gone to eight. Um, well, what, what do you make of that, guys? Uh, do you think uh, that that is a reasonable line? 
So it's up to eight. I think it was fair to start off at at a touchdown essentially at six and a half. And of course the money moves now with, with the betting, but you know, I, I think that A and M should be favored. We'll start there. Uh, they are on their home field. Auburn went to Cal and was not impressive. Uh, but I don't think it's it should be by much. You know, I think you could argue it'd be a little clo- closer than eight for sure, but maybe even maybe even four or five because I think that with A and M's defense the way it is, you know, they they've checked the boxes against ULM and I think it was uh, New Mexico to start the year. But and again, as I just talked about, not overreacting from Auburn playing Sanford because I give the Cal game the most credence in Auburn season. I give the A and M, the A and M Miami game, the most credence in A and M season. And and what we saw there was horrid defense. I mean, just just awful defense. So, I you know that that is going to be interesting. And also, I think that as much respect as the twelfth man twelfth uh, man gets at times at College Station. Auburn's just historically not really bothered by that environment. Uh, they won there uh, four several, one. yeah, four and one. Uh, they they won there even in fifteen when Auburn had its worst team under Malzahn on a night game. They still won with Jeremy Johnson quarterbacking, and they won in nineteen. And I mean, it's just they they won all kinds of games there, so they, they have usually not been bothered by by that home crowd. Okay, and you know, um, for some reason Auburn has been notorious for other uh, coaches' teams losing uh, their coaching positions due to losing those, right? I don't know if Auburn's notorious for that. I can think well, of... Les Miles is one of them. Yeah, the, Les Miles is the only one that I can think of. I thought maybe we've had some other coaches lose uh, their positions. Uh, like I'm looking Mike Shula, maybe, I maybe not. I just... I, I, I mean, it, the Iron Bowl is the last game of the year, so and they, they did fire him at the know. end of the year. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if something seventeen years ago makes you notorious for it, but I, I mean, it's happened once or twice, sure. Okay. Well, guys, give me your take on all the other SEC teams. Uh, I don't know how many you watch. I watched one. I said, "Good God, uh, Alabama struggling to barely win." They actually, the game was misleading. The final score. It was really ten to three until what two minutes left of the game, and they scored that. Oh, by the way, touchdown. But they they were struggling three to nothing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. Yeah, and no, then I'm watching. Alabama doesn't have a quarterback. That's their issue. Right. They're, and they're going back to Milrow. Uh, they, but I mean, they've got questions outside of quarterback. They've got some major issues on their offensive line, and they've got some major issues on the defensive side of things. And now Lane Kiffin has indicated from what he's seen on film that he thinks that uh, that uh, Traveris Robinson is actually running the defense now and not uh, uh, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele. Okay, and how do you explain Georgia losing at the half to South Carolina, uh, which I didn't think they were world beaters, at home, right? And then they finally win by 10 points. And, you know, they were a 25-point favorite at home. Yeah, uh, I think Georgia has shown that they've got a few issues, too. I I think they have less issues to worry about than Alabama, but uh, I I think they're showing that they're not perfect right now either. Yeah, I just uh, I don't focus too much on one quarter or one half of play. Yeah. They they stymied South Carolina in the second half. Rattler had a really good first half, uh, but Georgia. I wanted to see that out of Georgia because I wanted to see what they would do in an adverse situation because there's just not many opportunities for them to be in that. And Beck did a decent enough job. I, I didn't get to watch much of that game, but uh, they, they they certainly their halftime adjustments worked for them. Uh, so they 
they might not be the dominant force they were last year. Um, but again, with with what they've got coming down the line, which just isn't much. I mean, they're, they're, I still think they're in a great position. Yeah. I don't mean, really see yeah. anybody that can really beat them. Okay, and then I would really take my surprise that Florida, uh, who Vegas has a total win total five and a half games, yeah. beating uh, Tennessee, uh, and it wasn't even close. And then the real shocker was at that time number three right after FSU struggling, barely winning. Uh, against Boston College. Yeah. No, again, yeah. I, I'm glad that this stuff happened because on paper, again, worst weekend of the year. I mean, no top 25 matchups. You had a bunch of home non-ranked teams that you just didn't feel very good about. You, you guys see Missouri upset Kansas State with the 61-yard field goal by Harrison Mevis and uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, you know, like you said, Florida. I, I did not see that one coming. I didn't either. Uh, but yeah, again, I did. Me. I did. I did tell you though at the end of last week that if if Florida were to be able to pull something together because of that home environment and the fact that Milton hasn't been in there much, I still ultimately took Tennessee. Though I didn't think they'd win, I still took the combination of Hypo and Milton, but. Florida's fans made a difference, and that environment made a difference. And then Florida, basically Florida didn't do anything in the second half. They just kept holding Tennessee at, at bay because they got out to that lead and Tennessee get the ball back and penalty or get stopped on fourth down. And and so uh, you got to credit Florida's, oh. Florida's defense in their crowd. T- Tennessee, Tennessee has found themselves in a situation in Gainesville kind of like Auburn uh, at LSU where – uh, they just can't find a way to win there. Even if they go in there as the best team, they get beat. And that has happened a couple of times with Auburn trying to figure out how to win in Baton Rouge. And you know, finally, amazingly, Brian Harson was the one to break the streak. But yeah, something again, sports don't always make sense. It's okay. Right. And <laughs> not making sense, the so called allegedly best uh, college football coach uh, had to go to double overtime to beat a 25 point. Underdog, Colorado State. Yeah, and Colorado did fall in the rankings there, yeah. Yeah, well, look, Colorado has got some good players, but they're still not there, and that's one thing that I've been saying to folks, and I I think a lot of people in, in the media are like, it, this is it's neat to watch, and that game was fun. I loved every moment of watching that game because that was intense. I I, I thought they were going to be full on brawl before it got over with, but they he's got a few guys there. But I mean, Deion Sanders has said himself that he still needs about six or seven more dogs to actually be able to compete on the highest level. Because I mean, right now he just doesn't. He's got a few really good players, but then he's got some that are not. I, their defense is going to get. I I fully believe their defense. Is going to absolutely get torched against Bo Nix in Oregon. Yeah, it won't be close. I, I don't think it will be. It's already a nineteen and a half point underdog to Oregon. Yeah, Speaking dang. of brawl, guys, did you see what uh, uh, Tennessee did uh, to uh, Florida's uh, quarterback as he was uh, trying to just yeah. run out the clock? And yeah, hit him late on the on the yeah. kind of slow slow kind of knee. Penalties at the end of the game. What do they do? Uh, nothing. I mean. Nothing. Unless it's targeting, which it wasn't. Right, there so. was not targeting, and uh, the the only thing that there would have been an effect is if they had actually if if actually fought punches had yeah. started being thrown, then you would be out for the first half of the following yeah, or, game. Yeah, or I mean, full or, out suspension or, or yeah. worse. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and in the world of NFL sports, guys, uh, talk about bad beats. But uh, I think and you tell me if I'm wrong here because I watched the video replay of this. But uh, I thought the Broncos. Uh, got uh, robbed by the referees on their two-point conversion. It should have been pass interference. I mean, if that wasn't pass interference, what is? 
I, I, I thought that that very well should have been pass interference. I, I agree. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to use the word robbed. Uh, I just think it was a missed call. Uh, but you know, they still would have had to have gone for it again. I know the field gave him a chance. It was decent, but you know, I guess you saw they played for for the touchdown, the fifty was it yes. fifty some yards. Yeah, I I happened to look up at the TV as that happened uh, because I thought the game was over. I wasn't even paying any attention to it anymore, and then I looked around and saw the ball getting tipped around and a guy catch it, and I was beside myself that I just saw that happen. Yeah, I would have bet they would have gotten the two. I can't believe they didn't, honestly. And the Packers, I mean, uh, but uh, the the Falcons went 25-24. to Yep, yep. Nice comeback win there. They did a really good job against Love in the second half. Uh, you know, they Bijan's been great so far. I mean, he's he's you can see how skilled he is. And uh, Atlanta's doing a really good job of of uh, just grinding games. Ritter played a little bit better. And you know, they again, I, I think Green Bay's going to be at least competent. So Atlanta's off to a solid start. Yeah. Hey, hey, Steve, right. Steve, I'm going to jump in here real quick because it's just something that you were just talking we were just talking about. Uh, I'm seeing that Pat Forty has just announced the SEC penalties announced after the Florida-Tennessee dust-up. Um, so from Florida, Damian George Jr., Micah Makuza, Dante Zanders, all suspended for the first half against Charlotte Saturday. And Omar Norman Lott is suspended for the first half against UTSA. So there you go. Okay, so uh, some Florida players? Three, three Florida players are suspended for a half and one player from Tennessee. Okay, so they did give some suspensions out then. Yep. Okay, right. I think it's because I guess it's because some of them, even though they didn't actually throw the punches, were actually squaring up like they were going to full on box. So I think that just that act was enough there. If they had just, if he had just hit them a little bit late, and then they just kind of got a little, little, you know, pile there where they just kind of like. No, he patty cake each other and then move on. That would have been different, but I think the act of actually looking like they were about to throw hands there. And there was a brawl right before the game even started, a pregame uh, between the players. Uh, yeah, those anyway, two teams really, don't yeah, like each other very much. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one thing I can say about uh, the honorable rivalry. Uh, I don't recall ever, you know, either Alabama or Auburn players you know, going to fisticuffs either before or after the games. Nah, they, the one thing that they talk about with the Iron Bowl rivalry is that between the players, it, it's it's a heated rivalry, but it's more of a bragging rights rivalry. I mean, it gets heated with the fans. The fans are the ones yeah, that the, get caught the, up the, in, the fans, yeah. in emotionally in it. The, the players, most of them were friends in high school and have played against each other or with each other for the vast majority of their lives. And they like each other when it, when they're not playing against each other. So there there's respect there, but – yeah, there's other rivalries that that you start getting a little more intense on the field, but it's weird how that is. It's a very friendly rivalry, except for the fans. And finally, guys, Atlanta Braves. What is their magic number now? Uh, what do they need to win in terms of being the overall number one home team? Uh, I don't know what the exact magic number is there. I think they're still up three and a half or four on the Dodgers. With it, with them having the tiebreaker, so the Dodgers ha- not only have the tie, they have to have a better record by one than the Braves. So I mean, it's still, I'm still very confident in it. The uh, we have how the, many games left? Like 13, 12, yeah, the, depending on the team. The 14. magic number for getting home field advantage for the NLDS is one. The home field advantage in the National League is nine, and the World Series home field advantage is eleven. 
Those are your magic numbers. Okay. Thanks for those stats. All right. Guys, you've given me way more enough time, so uh, I'm in debt to you. Thank you very much. My time is way, way up. Uh, enjoyed all your comments, and I look forward to hearing them more this evening on the podcast. So um, until tomorrow, guys, have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll do this again tomorrow, and I'll be a little bit more some brevity on my part. So more you guys. Or you'll see. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward MC joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Still got five or six minutes left here in the first hour. We will keep it right here and talk more Auburn and Sanford and yeah, hitting on some of the flaws there. Let's talk as we were going to uh, some, some running backs there. Obviously C was very panicked by it and obviously it was not good. Uh, so the actual numbers there were Jarquez Hunter was 11 carries for 37 yards, Demari Austin 8 for 25, Brian Batty 5 for 21, and Cobb had 2 for negative 4. He did have a couple pop pass receptions. Are, are you concerned about it, or was that a blip in the radar? I, so the only reason I'll say I'm – the only reason I'll say I'm not concerned about it as far as what Samford happened in that game is – because the, Auburn obviously came out and they're like, look, we're going to throw the ball. We've got to throw the ball. And they threw the ball 32 times. So if you're throwing it 32 times, you're limiting how many carries you're going to get. Now, would I have liked to have seen the averages on, on their limited touches be more? Yes. But we also we know how these guys are. We know that Jarquez Hunter is a really good running back. We know Damari Austin is a really good running back. We have already seen – what Jeremiah Cobb can do. We've seen a little bit of what um, uh, Brian Batty can do. So I'm not really concerned about it. I mean, their whole game plan against Sanford was throw the ball. It ain't run run the darn ball. It was throw the darn ball. We're going to throw it. We're going to stretch the field. Even when we get into the red zone and we have a chance to punch it in, we're still going to throw the ball. So I'm just not too worried about it. This offense is going to, once they kind of get all of their stuff out there, it's going to become a very balanced attack. And I think you're going to see Jarquez Hunter and Damari Austin really start showing the the types of players that we saw from them last year. And Jeremiah Cobb has really emerged as a a potential top back. So I'm definitely not concerned too much about it. Let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line one more time in this hour, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Luke from Alex City. Luke is with us. Luke, how are you this afternoon? Good, guys. How are y'all? Doing well. Doing great. Uh, you know, Steve said something that was interesting to me about Deion Sanders, and he said he's glad Auburn didn't get him. And I can tell you, probably from the rest of the SEC, we're glad Auburn didn't get him too, or Mississippi State or anybody else for that matter. Mm. Because I'll tell you something, I thought TCU was going to run roughshod over Colorado. I just thought it was going to be easy. And, of course, Colorado goes there and does their thing. They do, they do their thing against Nebraska the next week. Uh, they take on Colorado State. And I know they were a big favorite. Um, but how many other teams have played uh, three squads the caliber of TCU, Nebraska, and Colorado State? I'm not saying those three are all going to go to the playoffs. What I'm saying is, you know, most of us have been playing uh, Middle Tennessee State or Stanford, and they have played three very legitimate teams, and they've won them all. And that's all you can do. And this was a Colorado team that only won one game last year. And he has completely turned over the roster. And so when people say they don't want him, you know, they're glad Auburn didn't get him or glad Mississippi State didn't get him, I can assure you the, the rivals of those schools are glad too because – Think about this for a second. You're not just getting Dion. 
Um, a guy who, by the way, has brought more, more elevated the brand of Colorado more than anybody probably in their history uh, of of sports in any sport. Um, he was just on sixty minutes. He was. Uh, they had game day and uh, Fox's pregame show there at the same time uh, in in a nothing game. I mean, relatively speaking. Uh, they've also got Shadur Sanders, who a lot of people believe is the leader for the Heisman right now. And if he wasn't a leader, it was Travis Hunter who was uh, hit pretty wickedly uh, against Colorado State, and, and unnecessarily. And he's going to be out about three weeks, but uh, and that may cost him this Oregon game, frankly. So, look, I, I get it. I mean, I don't think Colorado's going to the playoffs. They're not. They might not even finish in the top twenty-five. But I'm going to tell you what he's done for that program is more than any other coach that's, that's brand new has done for their program. That includes Hugh Freeze, who's done a good job. But uh, what Dion has done is made Colorado relevant at a time when they were absolutely bottom of the barrel. And then not only that, they were in a conference that is practically going away. And um, they just, they've become the must see television of the week. Alabama, this way at 2.30. Colorado and Oregon play at 2.30. Uh, I mean, you got Nick Saban against Lane Kiffin, and the Colorado game is going to draw a lot more eyeballs, if you ask me, and that's an Alabama fan. Yeah, the, the whole – the thing with Deion Sanders, I'm not I'm, – I'm still, like, not totally sure how it's going to work out long term, but the early returns are better than even I expected, and I expected it to be a much improved Colorado team. Uh, we were having this conversation around the office today. I stayed up till 1.30 in the morning – to watch Colorado State and Colorado. I, I wasn't able to say that earlier. I, I think that he is a legitimate coach. I don't think he's just a good recruiter, even though he's obviously a great recruiter. Uh, I think he's a legitimate coach, and I think that the skill players that he has right now are also really legit. So I, I think that Colorado, if Deion Sanders can continue to build and have this level of momentum, I'm excited to see where it goes for sure. Yeah. But Luke, they, this is know, Luke. This is not a surprise to me. I, uh, these guys can attest to it and other people around me. I, I was I was screaming his name three years ago, and people thought I was crazy. And now here we are. I mean, it's working exactly the way I said. Everything that is happening at Colorado with Dion is exactly what I would what I said would happen. Your ticket prices are going to go up. Your merchandise is going to go up. You're going to be you're going to have celebrities fawning all over you. The media is going to fawn all over you. Uh, the alumni are going to start just shoveling thousands upon thousands of dollars into your program. All of these things are happening, and I said that that's what will happen wherever Dion gets a job, and here we are. And unfortunately, you know, Auburn decided they didn't want to take a chance on him, or he didn't want to come to Auburn. I don't know how whatever happened with that, but ultimately, you have to watch out because I don't. He's not going to be at Colorado long term. He will eventually take a bigger job, and the unfortunate thing is, if you're Auburn, you may end up having to compete head to head with that someday. Yeah, and I think the key of what was just said was long-term. I don't know how it's going to be long-term. I mean, eventually, you know, having Little Wayne bring the team out and, and gold thrones and every, and all the the speeches and all this, is they're, they're not going to carry as much weight eventually. I mean, you can't – every game can't be the biggest game ever um, because that's part of what makes Nick Saban so great is that um, – he knows how to get through the minutia usually. Now, I mean, this year may be a little different, but for the most part, he's been able to deal with the complacency. And eventually that's going to happen everywhere. But for the short term, 
I mean, can you imagine if he had been, I mean, even at Mississippi State, I mean, forget Auburn. I mean, I, I don't know that Auburn would have ever really hired him. But if he was just at Mississippi State right now, um, how much things would be different in, in, a, in a conference where football is the thing? He's in Colorado where, I, I, again, I can tell you, it's just not as big of a deal for the most part. They're there for Dion, not for football. And, um, you know, but he's going to make it. He's going to make generations of kids fall in love with Colorado. And, uh, you know, Auburn's been uh, the, the beneficiary of some of that. I mean, there's still people who talk about Bo Jackson. You know, you can have a one-person uh, band that turns out to be something that is an icon for your university forever. Um, and, and I think that Auburn certainly benefited from that. And if Auburn had done something like go from – Bo to Cam to Dion. I mean, good lord, that would be that would have been pretty incredible. And certainly, like you're like you're saying, it, it definitely in the short term would be an incredible economic windfall. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, Luke, we are up against the hour, but certainly appreciate your phone call today. All right, guys, have a good one. That is Luke from Alex City joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are up against our hour break. We've got a couple more phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line coming up after this, including Coach from Kathleen and then Matt from Tallahassee. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontree, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon talking all things Auburn-Sanford and the weekend in college football. Let's go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone lines. We've got a couple more phone calls, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up, Coach from Kathleen. Coach is with us. Coach, how are you this afternoon? Hey, I'm well. How about you guys? Doing well. Doing awesome. Good deal. Hey, I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things here. Um, one, catch me up on an injury update, the one that I haven't heard about, and I missed the very first part of your show because you may have um, may have addressed it, but what about um, Cam Stutz? He was playing so well at guard, and I was watching him specifically in the first series. He left the field without any indication that I saw of injury, and then he didn't return. What's up with him, you know? Yeah, I, I so – 
judging off the press conference from Hugh Freeze this morning, uh, they are they they really didn't update either Xavier Miller or Cam Stutz. So I think they're still being evaluated, which I would find to be a little yeah. concerning personally. Uh, and and Hugh Freeze did mention kind of as a generality that quote. Uh, we've got some young guys that we got to get ready. They're going to get baptized into the SEC really quickly. So, and and that was also in regards to some DBs because of the Keontae Scott injury and and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, I, I think as far as Stutz is concerned, that, that they're still evaluating what that's like. Gotcha. I just had not heard what the nature of the injury was. It just seemed to be a. Um, it's amazing that a guy who was written off. Uh, you know, before before the uh, the fall camp started, Stutz was kind of written off uh, as a as a potential starter on the line by a lot of people. I was reading, you know, the transfer guys and and other people like Jim I Wright uh, being able to move in there and, and basically pushing Cam Stutz out. But the later it got in camp, the more you read about how well he was doing, and you know. So anyway, I'm just kind of concerned about that because. You know, DBs, yeah, they're hypercritical, no doubt. But at the same time, if I've got to choose to lose a starter on the O-line versus a starter in the secondary, I'm going to keep my O-line intact. I agree. And uh, and ours, you know, seemed to struggle a bit uh, after Sutts went out just because of the scuffling and so forth. Um, but I just, you know, that was the, the first question that was more Auburn-related. But going to the conversation about Dion, and listen, the guy is a heck of a coach. He's hired a really good staff. He is a master showman, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I want to I want to run down a list. You know, there's still a lot of Auburn people who I'm hearing say, you know, should I hire Dion? Look what he's doing in Colorado. Yeah, okay, fine. I hear all that, but let me throw this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read a list of about ten people here, ten names. And among other things, I want you to tell me what they've got in common. Joe Jordan, Doug Barfield, Pat Dye, Bowden, Pepperbill, Chizik, Malzahn, Harson, Freeze. Okay? Now, obviously, those are all that. That's the Auburn coaching staff since back in the 50s. Okay? That's every head coach Auburn's had, unless I missed one, and I don't think I did. Um, but other than, uh, let me t- tell me this which one of those guys is different than? All of the others, in some way. Anybody? Anybody got anything? Uh, Harson. Well, yeah, yeah sort perhaps. of in a way. He's got something in common. He's got something in common with every one of those guys except one. Harson has something in common with every other one of those coaches that I listed except one. What is the one that's different than all of the others, and why? Anybody? I don't know. We're all a little bit puzzled. Yeah. As SEC experience, maybe? Um, well, they all had SEC experience when they got to, you know, once they were at Auburn, and that's, that's not where I was going. Let me make it easy. I don't want to sit here all day. I'm an old, I'm an old math teacher, so I like to play the question and answer deal. Uh, but he, here's, what, here's what they all have in common. Everybody except Shug Jordan has something in common. Shug Jordan was different. Shug Jordan retired from Auburn University on his own terms, on his own timeline, kind of like Saban's probably going to do at Alabama. Now, I'm not comparing those two in anything other than that particular characteristic. But 
Shug Jordan retired from Auburn on his own accord, right? He left yep. when he was ready to leave. Not a single one of those guys after him can say that. Every mm-hmm. single coach at Auburn since Shug Jordan has been asked and or told to leave. Okay. Any disagreement? Yeah. Any, any... No, I, right. I don't think so. so no. So now, how does that affect, you know, what's that got to do with the first thing that I opened with, with, with about Dion? Can you imagine the backlash at Auburn, or anywhere else for that matter, if he is asked to leave? And I'm not talking about financially, because clearly Auburn doesn't give a crip about how much they pay in a, in a buyout. You know, they're not afraid to write a check to get rid of you. That's not the issue. But the public relations nightmare that would come because Dion is incapable, and I like the guy. Okay, he's a great player, uh, tremendous player, but he is inca—he's a narcissist. He is incapable of allowing others to take credit, or, or you know, it can't be his fault when things go wrong. You wait and see what I'm telling you, because they're going to lose a ball game here and there. I mean, it's going to happen. I don't care who you are; it's going to happen. But I don't want what scares me about him being at Auburn, and and you know this is really the only thing that concerns me, is the inevitable divorce. It's going to happen. It happens. It's happened to every stinking coach going back to 1976. Now that's that's a long time, and it's always been the same thing at Auburn. Getting you know you you always you win. You've got an opportunity to win. You're going to be good. Some are going to be great. And do great things, and some people, some of them have statues, and some of them have coached Heisman Trophy guys. You know, one guy's got his name on the field since Jordan. But the bottom line is, every one of them was asked or told to hit the road. Yeah. And I just cannot imagine the PR nightmare that would come if Dion was at Auburn. He stays five or six years. He has some success, and then he does it, and then Auburn says. Thank you, but see you later. Here's your check for $11 billion or whatever it might be at that point. And then the nightmare starts. You know, just getting the guy to leave, just getting him to go away without burning down the village on the way out. And that's just that's what scares me about him. Uh, I don't want him at Mississippi State. I, don't want him, I sure as heck don't want him at Alabama. I don't want him anywhere in any field, any stadium that Auburn's going to have to compete in because I respect his ability to coach. But I don't want him as Auburn's head coach because of the inevitable end of the career there. I just don't see it lasting beyond that. And I, that's, I just want to throw that out. That's something I haven't heard other people talk about. Yeah. Thoughts on that, guys? Oh, so the, the, only, the only thing that I would say with that is uh, Auburn, the, the one thing that you have also never seen with another coach is that they leave Auburn on their own uh, free will to go take another job without being asked to leave. Now, Pat Dye would have not been asked to leave at, when he did if it was not them going on probation. I mean, everybody loved Pat Dye, oh, yeah. and, every, and it was going to be great. So he would have been here for as long as he wanted to. The thing is, it, you're not going to – if you as long as you're successful, if you're, if you're winning the games and everything, then, you know, then you're good. But, uh, you know, if Deion Sanders were to come here and is a, just an abject failure – and can no longer recruit at the highest level, can't win games at the highest level, then, yeah, you're going to have to let him go. But then all the writing is there, so if you let him go, everybody's like, I can't believe you fired him. He's like, well, he's not recruiting and he's not winning, so we have to move on. 
So, I mean, there, you, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but if you hire a guy like that, I mean, you're going to get rid of him because he's not performing and not just because, well, we're just – we're just we're just tired of him being here, so we're just going to let him go. I mean, there, there's the performance yeah. aspect of it. Oh, yeah, Tom, I don't disagree with what you said, absolutely. But now, listen, there are still people in the Auburn family who think Auburn erred in getting rid of Gus Malzahn. There oh, are yeah. some, believe it or not, who think we 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 uh, treated Parson badly and yeah. shouldn't have gotten rid of him. Should have left him alone. You know, they same thing with Tuberville. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are all there are those people who still don't think we should have gotten rid of the guys that clearly we should have gotten rid of. Sure, you know, Tuberville, I could, I would have been all right if Tubbs had hung around a little bit longer, except for his his two things. He was his loyalty to his to his assistants got in the way, and he refused to try to compete with what Saban was doing over there with the NIL thing before NIL was a thing. Yeah, y'all hear what I'm saying. Well, and Tuber- just, Tuberville wasn't going to play the game. After the 2004 season, it felt like Tuberville thought that uh, these blue-chip kids were just going to line up at the door to come to Auburn after going undefeated in 04, and that was just not the case. They they almost – it's almost like they quit trying to recruit after 04, and it it steadily started going majorly downhill after that undefeated 04 oh, no season. And it was like they – it's kind of like I said, it, it felt like that Tuberville just – thought that they were just going to line up and come into the door without them having to put in the work for it, and that's just not the case. Tell me this, and I, and I honestly don't know the answer to this. When did when did Saban get hired at Alabama? So, 07? Yeah, his first year was 07. 07. All right, and does that correspond with what you just said about the recruiting at Auburn taking a nosedive at around, you know, at that time? Well, I mean, it started taking a nosedive before that because uh, there, okay. there's – I don't – yeah, they had it right after that 04 season. I think they had a recruiting class that was not even in the top 25. I mean, it was bad. And then, and, 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 and coach, you know this. You've been doing this a long time. You know that uh, it, it's usually a two or three year span. So, like, if you have a really, really good class, you can kind of see it mm-hmm. correlate about two or three years down the road. Well, same thing. If you have a class that's not even in the top 25, about three years later, when that group are supposed to be your upperclassmen and they're not there, yeah. and that's what happened with yeah. Tuberville. right after 04, the recruiting went to crap. And then a couple of years later, by the time Saban came in, then Auburn is sitting there bottom of the barrel trying to figure out how they're even going to compete. Yeah, well, I, you know, again, I I had the, had the privilege of knowing Tuberville. And I don't, I'm not saying we're friends because we're not. Right. But I did know – I didn't. He would speak to me when he saw me at the, at the football building. You know, I was I was that way. I was a guy who was around quite often with coaching events, with with clinics, and I worked over there. At, you know, recruiting camps and stuff during the summer, things like that. So I knew all of those guys, and I knew Tubbs, and and I know for a fact that part of the deal with Tubbs, the end of Tubbs' career, was he said, "I am not." going to lose my reputation as a clean coach trying to compete with what they're doing in Tuscaloosa. Now, and you know, I know what he meant. I know what he said. I heard it from his own mouth. He refused to play those types of games that were being played there once Alabama got everything, everybody rowing in the same direction. You know, Saban came in and he was able to make a long list of absolute demands because he had – Everybody in his corner. He had Mal Moore 
running interference for him, and that was Mal Moore's only job as athletics director was you keep everybody the heck away from my door and my telephone. If I need something, I'm going to tell you, and it's your job to go get it, make it happen. And so that's the way things got done over there. So Saban had the perfect storm. He had a a rabid fan base with unlimited money, and he was and they were um, um, they were starving for yes, they were dying to get Saban on board and give him whatever he wanted. And what he needed was the Red Elephant Club to come out and do their thing. And, buddy, they did. Tuberville knew it, and he said, I will not try to compete with that because I will not go down, you know, for, for doing the wrong things here, trying to stay up with them. Now, all that said, going back to Dion, whatever the reason may be, there's still, like I said, you like you said, you're going to fire him for, you know, either for cause, being he's doing something wrong, i.e. Pat Dye, or for lack of success. Either way, when the end comes, there's going to be a backlash. And I don't care if it's Colorado, unless he leaves Colorado to take a better job, which is what I completely expect to happen. He'll, he'll jump out of there and, and go to the bigger paycheck soon, sooner than later, and he'll have success. But at some point, he's not going to be able to stay ahead of the thing. He's going to reach the, the, the tipping point there, unless he's just the greatest coach of all time. He's going to get fired and mark my word he's going to burn the village down on the way out. And I just don't want to see that at all. But that's that's my deal. Again, I respect him. I don't want him at, you know, Auburn's SEC counterparts because I don't want to have to compete against him or recruit against him because he's good. But I don't want him at Auburn because of the inevitable end of the road being a, a nightmare. And that that's that's my take on it. But anyway, thank you guys for your time. It's a lot longer than I normally talk. And I uh, appreciate y'all taking my call. I hope you have a great day. Absolutely. You too, Coach. That is Coach from Kathleen joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Appreciate Coach for calling in today. Now let's go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Next up on the show, Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you this afternoon? Hello, Ryan! Hello, Chris! Hey, buddy! And Tom! What's up? Where's Michelle? <laughs> She's at home. She owes $550. All right, I'll tell her. Did she listen to me last time? You cut out there, Matt. Did Michelle listen to me last time? Still can't hear you, man. you got to uh, speak close to the phone. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you a little bit better. Okay. Wait, well, hey, Tom, did Michelle hear me? Uh, Matt, uh, yeah, you're you're yeah, losing still, signal. Still with cutting us, out there. Hang on, we'll uh we'll uh, try this again here in a second. We're gonna we're gonna drop you and you call back into the show. Uh, try and get back uh, connected with Matt here in just a second. I uh, yeah, I don't know what the uh, situation Sounds is like there. Out, uh, maybe out in the middle of nowhere and can't get good connection. I don't know. Yeah, all right. Let's see if we uh, we got him back here. Matt, are you? Can you hear us? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we, we much can. better. Much better. Okay. So, hey, so Tom, did Michelle hear me last time? Uh, yeah, she did. She she listens to the show, so yeah, she knows that you've been asking about her. Okay. So, hey, I want to talk about like uh, first. I want to know where is Alabama playing on their set? In Tuscaloosa. Okay. I mean, it, who? 
favorite to win by? Oh, uh, six, six and a half, I think. Yeah. I think it's a currently six at six and, and a half. Well, you guys gonna love this, and and I want Michelle to call after I after I do the cheer and stuff that because I got Ole Miss winning forty six to twenty two. Well, that would be by quite a lot. And so, hey, really, I want to talk. I really want to talk about the Alabama South Florida game and the Auburn Texas uh, Texas A M game. I got a score for that game too, but like. What is wrong with Alabama? They bench their starting quarterback. They played three other quarterbacks. And what's the what's the deal with what's the deal with that? Yeah, I mean they weren't they weren't happy with Jalen Milrow's performance after Texas, and they wanted to see since it was a quarterback battle in the fall to see what the other guys looked like, and they looked even worse, especially Buckner. And uh, Buckner was was not good. I didn't get to see a lot of Simpson. He played a little bit better, but it was still not a raging success, and so they're going back to Milrow this week. And I, then I was talking about the Auburn game. Um, like, uh, I saw, I was reading about the running back, and all three, all the running backs had 13 yards and, and stuff that we need to get, we need to get Hunter the ball more. He need, like, he the leader of the running backs, he's following for Tank B, uh, filling for Tank Bigsby, and um, but we need to give hundred the ball more. Um, I know that uh, the the punt that Auburn got went off his chest. He could have recovered it, and but we need to do better on punt returns, um, and uh, and stuff. And Peyton Thorne did good. Robbie Ashford did good, but they need to put like they need to get Robbie Ashford on more to, on more touches. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that the the package has been a lot talked about. I I still think that you're trying to focus on what Peyton Thorne and that offense is doing and. Uh, obviously, when Ashford came in uh, with those goal line sets, they did get a couple touchdowns. But uh, again, I don't think that they should be doing it just to do it. I think it needs to be successful, and I, I think they they can try it against A and M. But if it's not working, they don't need to stick with it. So, hey, Brent, what do you think? Yeah, I think the reason Robbie didn't get that many touches is because they know what they have with Robbie. They the that's the thing that needs the least amount of practice. And this was kind of a, a live scrimmage. Yes, it was regular season. Yes, it counted. But this was a game where Auburn wanted to work some stuff out. And if there's anything that doesn't really need that much work, uh, it's the Robbie Ashford package. So I think we'll see him a little bit more moving forward. But like Ryan said, if it stops working, then I think we'll stop seeing it. So do you think that we can beat uh, Texas A&M? Because before you guys answer that, a friend of mine from my bowling, I had a bowling practice today, and he was telling me that and defense is not that good. And so do you think that with Texas and defense not that good that Auburn can score a lot of points and then I'll give you my score and then uh, we're going to do some maybe Halloween trip, uh, maybe some, like, some trivia or something like that. Yeah, we can't do trivia today, Matt, because we've had so many phone calls, but we can uh, we can keep hitting on these subjects with you. Okay, so like, so you think with the Texas A&M defense, and is it, you guys can answer you guys one at a time, but do you think that like, if we say say we did like good against uh, Stanford, do you think we can score probably like like forty something or fifty points on 
Texan on defense, and then if we do that, do you probably see Gardner or Brown maybe coming in as quarterback? Uh, with Hank Brown and uh, Holden Gurner, yeah. I so I, I do not expect to see either one of those guys against A and M. That they will they will not play. Uh, I and I don't think Auburn will be scoring fifty points on A and M either. I, I I think that this you know Auburn will have a chance if they execute stuff to get into the thirties. Uh, but even still, I don't think this will be an incredibly high-scoring game. I thought coming into the year that they would be involved in high-scoring games, but I've kind of shifted that mindset a little bit. Uh, so they definitely can score some on A&M, and, and I think that they will need to score some uh, because I think A&M's defense is not not great, at least not right now, and, and they do need to take advantage of that. But I don't think they'll be scoring near 50. Well, here's a, here's a score for you guys. I just want to see the G score. You said, like, Ryan, you said it's probably in the 30s, right? Yes. I'm saying, how about 35, 35 28? Sure. Yeah. Uh, again, that, that would be reasonable. Yeah. I think the, the line says it's about a 7-point spread. Of course, they're favoring A&M in that. I know you're picking Auburn. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that low 30s to high 20s could be this game uh, for sure. And, uh, beyond that, if it got higher scoring, that'd be a little bit, a little bit outside the box. But again, I, I, I just don't think it'd be incredibly high scoring, just based on what we've seen against the, in the in the Cal game. Well, if, it, if it's in twenties, I go like twenty eight twenty. Uh, I go twenty eight twenty three. Auburn. Sure, yeah, that would make sense. So, 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 like, so say like, say if Auburn can beat Texas A M, and then we play. Is it Ole Miss after that? It's Georgia next week. Okay, it's Georgia. Okay, so we should be favoring in Georgia, right? Absolutely not. No, Georgia will no. be heavily favored over Auburn. Okay. So okay, so so if we can beat Texas AM, they're not ranked, right? Texas AM they're not ranked. That is correct. They're unranked. Okay, so say if O if Ole Miss beat Alabama and we beat Texas AM then that's possibility that Aubrey could be probably ranked in top 25 or top 10, right? Uh, top 10, no. Top 25, I think they'd be getting close. I think it'll depend on, on how they look when they beat te- if they beat Texas A&M and, and how the other results. There's a lot of top 25 matchups this week, so there are going to be some top 25 teams losing. I think about it's, it's about how Auburn looks. If Auburn barely beats A&M, uh, has to pull something out last minute, then no. If they beat him very easily, then they'll have a chance at it. Okay, this, and this question is for Tom and Brent, and, uh, and then I'll do the chair. Um, do you guys probably see Brown or Gardner, say, in the probably mm, either against Mississippi State or against LSU or Arkansas? No. I, I don't see Holden Gurner getting on the field unless it's a blowout, and I don't see Hank Brown getting on the field ever. Period. Matt, Matt, it's it's gonna it's gonna be Peyton, it's gonna be an absolute emergency if yeah. Hank Brown ever sees the field. It, it's gonna be Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne is going to be your quarterback unless he gets hurt or if he just has something that just he is just very vastly just not doing good. And then Ashford's going to be in. It's going to take something major to for Gurner or well, Hank Brown to be in the game. Do you, do you guys probably see in Auburn still going probably twelve and one? No, 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 not at all. So, 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 so another thing is, say Bama loses against Ole Miss this week, and that'll be two losses 
that means Bama will not go to the SEC championship or be in the playoffs, right? Uh, it'd be close. So you'd still have to have Ole Miss end up uh, not losing more than once in the conference because Alabama's first loss was not an SEC play. But it would certainly be detrimental, and it also bring up the question: Would they lose again to someone like LSU or or Auburn or or whoever? So I I, I definitely think that if they lose, that I mean it's 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 huge so trouble. So what? So what's your so what's your guys' final thoughts on Auburn's final record this year? I know we're going to lose to Georgia. But yeah, you guys I, probably you guys probably going to see like probably like win nine or ten games. No, I, I unfortunately, you know, I I'm still sticking with my seven uh, seven win uh, because my preseason predictions were Auburn would win seven, but that was also with these three wins, and they have won those. I just think that I, I think the reality is about to really hit Auburn in the face coming up here pretty soon. But the last question, like, and I'd like to say, I know the chair. I saw that Auburn is hosting together visitor from um, for the weekend for the Auburn Sanford game. Do you guys know anything about that, or has he chosen Auburn yet? Auburn hosted a lot of guys this past weekend. I mean, Auburn's going to host a lot of guys in in all of these weekends. Uh, as soon as someone commits to Auburn, we will talk about it. But uh, for right now, no one has talked about it yet. Oh, okay. Well, like, uh, Tom, yes. uh, you need to get Michelle on the show next Monday. I'll talk to her about it and see what we can do. I want her I want her, I want to meet her on the phone, and I want her to give me some trivia if she can. Is she, is she good at trivia? I, I, I don't know that she's really all that good at trivia, but – I, we'll see what we can do. I mean, you guys need to get, you guys, you guys need to get the Barbie and Brooke on here and get JJ back on here. Yeah, we'll see what we can do there. Okay, like okay, like like I'm the last day of here, and um, you guys ready? Yes, we are. Are you, are you sure? Yes, we are. One hundred percent sure. One hundred and two percent. Okay, I'll take I'll take that. I'll say that. I'll say that. Okay, five. I've, Four, three, two, one. War Eagle. Hey, beat Bama. 119 to. Hey, I was going to answer Coach's question a minute ago. He was asking who's the best coach at Auburn. And I don't think he was quite talking about that. He's just going through the other, all the coaches that have been in Auburn the last 60 or 70 years, but. Well, I have to say, like, uh, uh, Dan Harris, he was a good coach, yes. But if Coach is listening, I want to tell him this. Coach, if we're listening, I met Pat Dye. I got to walk in the locker room with Pat Dye on the field twice and stuff like that. So, and, like, and Coach, like I told James before, if you have any questions about Special Olympics, you to ask. He can ask you guys, and I can give answers and stuff for that. But if James had any more questions, I haven't heard from James for a while and stuff for that. But and um and so so. But hey, I'll talk to you guys next Monday. Tom, keep on behaving. Um and hey and uh, Ryan and Brent, you guys make sure you guys keep an eye on and tell Michelle to keep an eye on Tom. And so, as hey Tom, I'm not going to charge you today, but. If I, if I if I you you, 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 you I want to charge you. I'll keep that in mind. 
All right, Matt. We hope you have a good week, buddy. All right. War Eagle, guys. War Eagle. That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take our first time out of the 4 o'clock hour. Back with more sports call after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom PV, Brant Dontry with you here on this sunny Monday afternoon. A sunny afternoon that did not get scorching hot. Feels Just good outside. Blessings. Lo, uh, low 80s and got some lows going to be in the upper 50s for a yeah. couple days. That's Start, good starting time. to get that little touch of fall. Yeah. And I am all with for it. it. Uh, so let's continue. Let's break some more things down from Auburn and Sanford. Uh a lot of people I think I think leaving this game the most disappointing part is the injuries. Oh yeah. Because oh, look, I, I talked about the positives and negatives with Thorne's play and, and how look you still the decisions are still very apparently, you know, not perfect there. But multiple injuries to offensive line, got some DBs continually banged up. You know, Donovan Kaufman didn't play, for example. I think feel better about him for next week. But uh, I was, again, trying to read more quotes because I know Coach asked about it. And uh, it just it didn't seem, based on what was said today, reading between the lines, that it was a, a positive thought towards the situations for Cam Stutt and Xavier Miller for this weekend, not, move, not seeming like it's moving in a positive direction for now. So it could be having to do some different things on the offense line. That's what would give more credence because I know Steve was very worked up about it. What would give more credence to the lack of a running game is if you have to start putting out multiple different offensive line combinations that you did not want to start. I still ultimately feel pretty good about the run game. I believe there's three to four talented really running backs here. Uh, so it's not the thing that I'm looking forward to to primarily in the AM game, although we'll talk about it throughout the rest of the week. Um, but what I think is the biggest thing here, and it goes along with the running game and the lack of being able to run well at times against Sanford, is that if you don't run well out of your base offense or you don't have your quarterback making all the right decisions on RPOs in the red zone, that necessitates the Robbie Ashford package, or that brings it more into play because you can look at this game and say, well, Thorne can run for 100 yards. Why do you need a, another running quarterback? Or if you can have success with multiple different running backs coming in, spelling other running backs, being successful, multiple guys that can tout it close to the goal line, okay, great, you have that. Or if you make great decisions in quick passing games – 
which they tried to do but didn't execute it against Sanford, then okay, well, Thorne can be out there. He throw touchdowns in the red zone or inside the 10-yard line what have you. But that, to me, is what was not going very well against Sanford, and that's something that while they checked other boxes in terms of pass attempts, if, if you are not scoring a good touchdown ratio in the red zone – that's when it becomes necessary to look at other ways to score, and that opens up. Again, I'm just it's, it's almost gonna be a running joke now. The package <laughs> that that opens up the package opportunity for Ashford. It does. Um, it, we've seen now for a, a while. We've got enough data on this, I guess. It feels like the Achilles heel of these spread offenses is the red zone. You don't have as much room to space out the defense. So everything gets a little more compact, and now you, you compact the spread. Well, the spread is no longer the spread, so it doesn't work as well. It makes sense. Um, but g- going forward, I think for your for this team to truly be effective, you have to be able to score in the in, in the red zone with your base stuff. You've got to be able to have Peyton Thorne throw a touchdown pass from the five. And right now, I just don't know – what that looks like. I think you run, I think you can run RPOs like those slants. We saw these quick slants. I think that's perfect for it. I think that is a perfect first and goal from the three type play. Um, I hate goal line fades. This is this is a personal vendetta of mine. Huh. I think fades are perfectly fine from the five and out. But if but goal line fades, absolutely hate them. There's just not enough room for the receiver uh. to get space. And I don't care if that receiver's six five and the corner's five nine. You still need just a little bit of room. For it to, to consistently work, and, and right now Auburn has guys that can get that separation. But again, you just need a little bit of room, and I just don't like goal line fades. But moving forward, I would like to see Peyton Thorne. I mean, you, you, we've I, I talked about this last week. Hugh Freeze has all these concepts, these quick passing concepts in his arsenal. I think they would work on the in on the goal line. You know, you, three wide receivers to run side, get one side, get two of them to run slants, one of them to run a slant the opposite direction. That'll probably open up the guy running towards the quarterback. Just little stuff like that, I would like to see that happen. No, it's not going to be perfect. No offense is. But I feel like there are ways to get guys open on the goal line when you don't feel like you can just run inside zone and crash in. Tom, thoughts on the how the success rate of base offense so far in the red zone this year, not only in Sanford game but in the whole season, versus – what that means towards Ashford and how important that becomes. Yeah, um, I man, I, I it's kind of one of these things. I, I want to see what this looks like against Texas A and M. That's where I want to get my sample size. Um, in these first three games, it it felt like Auburn was trying a lot of different things out, and now you're going to get to a game where this. Now you're no longer in this process of let's practice some things against some weaker competition and let's do some different things against Texas A&M is like, this is going to be what it is. Um, I am one of those when you're in the red zone and you get into close like that, you have got to be able to run the ball. You've got to be able to run the ball better than that. Uh, I just, I feel like you're, you're really leaving yourself up to disaster when you start putting it in the air. I understand there are going to be times that you do have to put it in the air because Defenses will come up and stack the box on you and different things like that. But you have to be successful on the ground uh, when you get down there. Uh, as far as the, like you said, packages, 
it needs to be Thorne. Thorne needs to be able to run that. I, I get it. If you can get a package that Robbie comes in there, but I think that they – you're going to have to do it quick. It's going to be. It's going to be have to one of these things that happens fast. I would like to see a package you're going to bring in that you do, you actually leave Thorn on the field if you're if you're able to do that. That way you're not breaking up the you're not breaking up your your rhythm by running him off the field, running him back on the field if that's possible. Um, but you're going to have to run it, uh, and whether it's just straight up power run in the middle. I don't know that we have an offensive line that can do that. I think to, to have the success run, it's going to have to be the misdirection, the RPO-type stuff. Uh, now, if you get to the one-inch line, please just line up under center and stuff it down their throat. Yeah, I'm not – Sneak it. That, that's the, yeah. that was so weird to me. Like, Auburn I, – I, again, I know they were trying to practice stuff when they were down on the one. But Auburn showed that it has that quarterback sneak look. It can do it. It wants to be able to do it. Yeah, I hope going forward I want that to be just – if you get first and goal from the one, hurry up, run that play. Yeah. Just I, run, run that – I think the, I think the Eagles call it the tush push. Run that. <laughs> they, I mean, they did run that QB sneak third quarter, maybe fourth yeah. quarter, sometime in the second half on a fourth and one at around midfield, 45-yard sure. line. Easy, easy push, first down. Sneak is so tough to stop. I don't know what the percentage is, but it feels like it's an 80 to 90% play. Uh, but obviously, as you guys said, that I, I think that they did the right things play calling wise to give the opportunities to execute stuff. Sure, it was not always executed because I know a lot of people are like, "Why didn't you just run the ball on the one yard line the first drive?" Well, because again, they wanted to check on the decision making. They could have. It was again that fade on second now was an RPO. Right. So that could have been handed off and against an SEC team you would want to hand that off sure. when you got the look that you got, but he didn't. He made the throw, it was incomplete and it led to the third down interception. But they wanted to get again, I'm good with it because they got Thorne in all any and all situations to judge his decision making, right. his ability, and now they have a game plan to formulate off of that. The Sanford game and games like it, scoreboard don't matter. Auburn, yes, could have scored sixty. Okay, if they don't have turnovers and stuff, score sixty. What do you What do you gain from that? Right. If, if I told you Auburn beats uh, Sanford sixty to seven instead of forty five thirteen, what would that have changed in your minds? Right, like nothing. If they had just ran fifty five times, bludgeoned them to death and moved on with their season, they wouldn't have learned what their actual question marks are right. and work on some things that they'll need for real defenses. So you made a couple mistakes in that, but they were necessary mistakes. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that I, I was trying to get across to some some folks after the game that I was talking to that uh, were just you know gnashing their teeth over the, the play call and then we were getting the red zone play call. And why are we throwing it so much in the red zone? It's because – they're trying some different things. Kind of, you know, basically what you're saying. They could have run the ball down their throat. I mean, of course they could have. They, it's Sanford. They they could most likely just overpower them and run it down their throat. But why not? Why why not throw the ball a little bit? Why not give a give Peyton Thorne some reps against a different defense and against different looks again, like you said, to make to make the decisions, to see to read a defense, make some decisions, air it out in those short yardage areas. 
because it also gives other teams something to look at and something to worry about. If you just go down there and you just cram it down their throat, then you know Texas A&M, they're going to look at film, and, and that's okay. Well, that's what they're going to do. And you don't want to have to be trying to, quote-unquote, practice that against Texas A&M. You can practice it against Sanford and get away with it because that's a glorified scrimmage. Obviously, it's a glorified scrimmage you don't want to lose. That would be embarrassing. But it's a glorified scrimmage. So you work on those things against a team like Sanford, and I'm fine with that. You you want to have all your I's dotted and T's crossed when you get to Texas A&M. You, you get to this little murderer's row that's about to come up here. It, the practice is done. Your your little pregame cupcake scrimmages are done. Yeah, you got a you got a nice test against Cal, but your other two are glorified scrimmages. You've had a chance to work out some kinks. You've had a chance to do some different things and and give some different looks and give some work. But now, it, now it's time. And so, I, I'm good with what they did against Sanford. I, I would have liked to have seen execution a little bit better. But uh, you know, like what we're talking about, once this gets into the uh, red zone, I would much rather see the running game take effect. Unless you just have to throw it, and and granted, you want to mix in the pass too. You don't want to be uh, that predictable. That that's you know that's one of the big things that worries you in this type of offense. If you start getting predictable, uh, use the misdirection, do something to change it up, but try to get it in the run game so you're not forced into passing. Well, and again, we look at what went wrong against Cal, and not only was there some execution stuff, but the main thing was the game planning right? and the play calling. And to be honest, in year one, look, again, we're all on the same page. This team's not winning 12, 11 games, double digit, whatever. So what do you want that to be because? Do you want it to be because you, in fact, did not have a good enough roster to do that? Or do you want it to be because – actually the coaches failed a roster that was actually capable of more than you realized. You want it to be the former. No, you no. want it to be that you indeed did not have a 10-win, 11-win roster. Not that, oh, actually this roster could have won 10 if the coaches had been known what they were doing. You see what I'm saying? And so you don't – like the one thing I don't want throughout this year is to be looking at it and saying, you know what, that was a bad game plan. You know what, that was a bad game plan. You know what, that was a really bad game plan. I want it to be an execution problem or something because that tells me indeed, yeah, this is right. this is your price for a, a few years of bad recruiting. Not, hey, this team was actually they actually did a great job in the portal and they messed it up by having horrible game plans or horrible play calling right. and that sort of stuff. Well, so that right there to me that goes back to a lot what everybody's thoughts were in Harson's first year because he granted they they were not loaded that that Harson did not take on a loaded roster, but he had some playmakers on that roster and you saw it against uh at penn state and there were some things with the game plan and then especially when you got down there late and there were some play calling things that just really made you scratch your head that's one of those where you're like you have some talent and some roster to win these games but what are you doing like what is this play calling what what are we trying to accomplish here and i mean that's where it started to kind of come unfrazzled and then all the other stuff happened after that with lack of recruiting but no i i want it to uh, well first of all you got to be competitive I, obviously you don't want to go out there and just get your teeth kicked in but you definitely want to be able to look at it and say you know man yeah we're we're just we're we're short on some horses right now 
And, and that's what Hugh Freeze has even talked about in, in a press conference is that, you know, they, they've had a few months to try to put a, get to a class together. Teams like Texas A&M, Georgia, and LSU have been stacking classes. So talent-wise, Auburn is behind the eight ball. So you've got to understand that, but then you can't compound that right. with crappy play calling and crappy game planning. You have to have the best game plan ever and then hope that that will lead a, a weaker roster to – it, being competitive, staying in a game, and giving your chance to win. Right. I mean, there's again, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, and Auburn could go seven and five this year with lamenting the fact that they just didn't execute in critical moments, or they could go seven and five with the fact that yeah, they should have won those games, but they just called stupid stuff right. in this big situation. There's, again, there's multiple ways uh, to to be that way when you have a lot of close games and. Again, I think that they got the game plan right in game three. Not that it was a difficult game plan. wasn't The difficulty was not high to get it right against Sanford, but I think they did what they needed to do in terms of game planning and, and calling the, the right plays and calling situations they needed to find more info in. Of course, they mis-executed a couple parts of it and a last couple turnovers. One of the biggest things that you should 100% find out against Texas A&M, because, again, the – your past three games, you had two that were glorified scrimmages, one that a little more competitive, but now need to see an identity. Like right now through three games, I don't know what this – on the offensive side, I don't know what this identity is. Nobody knows. Are, are you going to be the team that throws it a lot like you saw against Samford, or are you going to be the team that runs it mostly like the previous games? Are you going to be – you know? Full RPO trying to get the touches with the running backs, or is uh, Peyton Thorne actually going to be a threat with his feet? We don't know. Against AM, they need to show that this is the identity, this is who we are, and that's where you run with it. Obviously, you change it if things start falling apart, but now it's when you figure out who that identity is. We don't want to get halfway through the season like we have in the past. And have no idea what the identity is. Are you a passing team? Are you a running team? Like, what are, what are you? A and M need to see the identity, and, and that's I think that's that goes back to that whole crossing your T's, dotting your eyes, having your game plan set. We know who we are. We know what we are, and this is what we're doing. We are out of time here for hour number two, but stay tuned. A lot more fun ahead in hour number three. Again, we'll lead off. With the sports call five at five, and of course that's always presents, uh, excuse me, presented by Southeastern Land Group. So we'll get to the sports call five at five coming out of the hour break, and a little bit later, a best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine. hours of sports call are finished don't touch that radio dial we've got one more hour to go whether you're leaving work cruising around town or listening on demand we've still got some fun left for you to be part of the show give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9 
Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. Coming up a little bit later, best and worst of the weekend. But for now, let's get to the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land to get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, going over some injuries to Auburn and unfortunate that there are that many injuries to at least hit on as Auburn was already got had a couple players less than 100% coming into play on Saturday and they leave with a few more players that are going to be less than 100% and hopefully can suit up for the Tigers on Saturday, but remains to be determined this early in the week. But let's go ahead and go through some of them here for the Sports Call 5 at 5. Number one. The biggest one that we know has the most long-term implication is Keontae Scott having surgery on the ankle and, of course, was punt returner for Auburn playing DB. He is going to miss several weeks, obviously, with the surgery. So not a great timetable for his return. I think we can safely rule him out of really this this important stretch of football where Auburn's got A&M, Georgia, LSU, and Ole Miss here in the next five weeks with a bye week sandwich in the middle of that. So I think most, if not all, of those games are going to be problematic for him to return to that, again, with the surgery to his ankle. Number two. couple offensive linemen here coming up. Cam Stutz, somebody that we had the opportunity to – I uh, talked to SEC Media Days in Nashville. He went down in the Auburn Sanford game, and uh, his status is uncertain. We're still uh, they're still looking at the all the info, medical info on that, and uh, his status is uncertain at this time for Saturday's game against A and M. Number three, same deal for Xavier Miller, Tutal Miller, who was injured in that Sanford game. Somebody that really came on in camp was not really a projected starter in the off season. Uh, found a way to get him in the lineup there, move some things around to utilize his abilities and playing quite well as the line really had not been an issue first couple games of the year. I thought they were doing a really good job and thought they still did a good job in pass pro certainly against Sanford, but obviously not as as pronounced in the run game when they did decide to run. But Xavier Miller also same kind of concept with Cam Stutt, still evaluating things. Hugh Freeze kind of a little bit mum on if he will end up being able to play over the weekend or not. If not, if both those guys miss, you're looking at a, a decently different offensive line on Saturday. Number four. Luke Deal, somebody that went down on a kickoff return in the Sanford game, and it looked uh, pretty significant. It took him a while to get off the field. Still unfamiliar with his status moving forward. Obviously not playing a whole lot uh, with – when you factor in what uh, Rivaldo Fairweather is doing, and uh, he was certainly targeted a lot more 
in that Sanford game. But Luke Deal, a veteran of the team, went down on that uh, kickoff turn, certainly a part of the kick team there. Number five. And number five is somebody that didn't play against Sanford, Donovan Kaufman, at least better news on this front. Held him out of Sanford. Might have been able to play if he needed to, but held him out. And he is uh, making momentum towards playing against Texas A&M. So figure that Kaufman will be able to make a return as long as there's no setbacks in practice this week. And, of course, Donovan Kaufman, I would say, has been probably the second-best player defensively for Auburn this year so far. I would put Asante one and then Kaufman two. And so Kaufman uh, is going to be an important part of what Auburn needs to do, stopping the run and uh, especially things around the line of scrimmage. So hopefully Kaufman can come back, but it is looking a little bit like a better prognosis for Donovan Kaufman towards playing on Saturday. That's the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. Again, five guys dealing with injuries right now. And there are a couple more too, but I guess five of the guys dealing with injuries right now. Keontae Scott, Cam Stutz, Xavier Miller, Luke Deal, and Donovan Kaufman. And guys, that's overall, we, we've talked X's and O's. But generically speaking, that is the most disappointing thing that happened at Sanford is you got significantly less healthy. I would yeah. I would dare say now, may, you know, Jarquez Hunter had a little banged up ankle, came back in, so that shouldn't linger, but it could. It's an ankle roll of some sort. Uh, but again, you're looking at two linemen potentially out. There's still been battling injuries with like Jalen McLeod, who's still not technically a hundred percent. Even Stephen Sings, I, I just. They, they have been fairly banged up for what they've actually had to accomplish on the field so far. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a difficult thing to overcome, but it is, it is part of football. I mean, you want that to try to be as limited as possible, but it's football. It's part of it. It's something that you're going to have to deal with uh, throughout the season. And so hopefully, hopefully that kind of starts lessening as we move along and some of these guys can get healthy. But it's unfortunate, but it is part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, injuries are the the worst part about sports. We've talked about that before, but you're going to have injuries throughout, and and there's a reason that you have as many guys as you have on your roster. You've got. I, I think in the secondary, Auburn's depth is pretty good. Where it concerns me most is uh, losing two guys on the offensive line and not knowing what their status is going to be because those guys were both playing really well. Uh, Coach talked about it earlier. Uh, Cam Stutz has kind of been the tone setter. He he'd been playing really well. Uh, and then he goes out after that first drive and he doesn't come back in. We don't know if he's going to be available or not. Uh, and if he's not, uh, that's a major hole in your offensive line. That's a big blow uh, into a spot where I don't think the depth is as good as it is in the secondary. So you're going to need some some help there. Some Somebody else is going to have to step up if that's the case. We also had a lot of other action over the weekend. I, I, we will continue to talk about it on the show surely tomorrow and, and some on Wednesday. But uh, I want to give you guys the opportunity to hit on Really, anything you want to, because I know, Brant, it's your only opportunity on the week. Was there anything that stood out to you on college football Saturday that you wanted to make sure we got in on Saturday? Any big takeaways? Any, any of the surprising upsets or or almost whoops moments from some bigger teams? <laughs> Just any of it. Yeah, I, I I talked about this earlier, but I mean, I don't know how many times I've stayed up to one thirty to watch Colorado and Colorado State. I, I, there's definitely something happening there. But since we've already spent a good chunk of time on that, uh, I'll pose the question, is anybody good in college football? I mean, Georgia struggling with a South Carolina team that does not have an offensive line uh, and did not have a great showing with defense. I know they came back and won, but, you know, the uh, the whole thing just seems kind of crazy from that perspective. Alabama doesn't have a quarterback, and that's not the only question that they have. Um, 
First time being outside of the top 10 for Alabama since 2015, I think it was. Uh, it's been a while, maybe 2017, something like that. It, it's been since the 2010s, uh, and I know we're only three years into the 20s, but either way, it just a, a crazy, weird, bizarre showing. It, it felt like this was everyone's, well, someone has to have a bad game. Uh, and But I think there are also legitimate concerns to have. I'm very confused about this week of college football. Honestly, it was just a weird week, and we talked about it going in, how this was just not a great week for games, and it ended up a lot of these games be, were a lot closer than we thought they were going to be. Yeah, I would say uh, we'll talk. Ten- Tennessee upsetting Florida, I think, is the biggest surprise. I expected Tennessee to handle them pretty easily. Right, Florida upsetting Tennessee. Excuse yeah. me. Yes. Uh, that was the biggest surprise for me, too. Yeah, that, I mean, that was. I did not see that coming. That was surprising. Uh the Alabama USF game again was. There's not oftentimes you talk about a win for them where you get actively more concerned, yeah. but I mean it, again they ran one in with moments to go. So ten three seventeen three whatever against South Florida. Who again that that is not the South Florida of what Matt Grothy from it's not the one that came in here ago. and beat yeah. Auburn. Yeah, yeah. That that I mean South Florida got left behind. I mean they. They could have been in the Big 12 with UCF or instead of UCF, and and they've gotten left behind for a reason uh, because of uh, lack of ability the last several years. And so what we found out is Buckner is absolutely in no way better than he was at Notre Dame. He might be actively worse just based (laughs) off of that sample size. He is not a a Power 5 quarterback, and I would – I mean – yeah, maybe I, I think I overdid it in the office earlier today when I said he's not even an FBS quarterback, but it, he's certainly not a Power Five quarterback. Period, uh, and, and it, maybe he could play at Texas State or something, but I, I, I doubt it. Uh, any higher level than that, Ty Simpson, we did see a lot of, and I did not see that portion of the game. I had seen the Buckner portion of it, and I didn't see as much Simpson, but I know that it still did not drastically change in the third quarter. Uh, when he came in, they did score, obviously, at the end there. But uh, they roll with Jalen Milrow, in other words. They are uh, announced today that, that Milrow is going to go back to, to starting for them. And I think that's the right move because I still think Simpson's a little bit of an unknown. He's younger. We didn't see as much. But Buckner can't touch that field. I mean, well, okay, let me rephrase that. Please play him, And as a matter of fact. Go ahead. Just rest of the year, unlimited opportunities. Go ahead. Uh, but if you're Alabama, you, you can't play Buckner, and you know that. And with Milrow, I think that they would be best served to just admit that they have to run offense a little differently than they want to and incorporate his legs a little bit. And, again, I know that's not the style. It's their preference. But he's got a deep ball to him. It's not without any ability whatsoever. He threw a couple really good deep balls against Texas that I recall. But he is slow to process things, and he he processes things wrong a couple of times, which led to really bad interceptions that, that cost them points against Texas. So I just think that they will have to simplify things and, and change the style up a little bit. I don't think it's hopeless, but it's clear that it's not at all what they've had the last five to six years. And really – I mean, we'll see it play out a little bit more before this declaration. It's probably the worst quarterback Alabama has started since Nick Saban got there. I I know that Coker wasn't awesome, but they still won the title. I know Blake Sims, uh, Blake Sims, excuse me, had 
his deficiencies, but again, they were still to a certain point. I think that was the year they lost to Ohio State in the playoff. Uh, so they still were a certain level. It may not have been the elite level, but it was still fine. Milrose bordering on their worst quarterback they've started in 15-plus years. And that is, again, shocking. There's also a play – I know I'm rambling. There's also a play that a South Florida kid – apparently I think he's a Florida transfer – ran someone over. Oh, yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. Just ran him straight Shocked over. Him. Absolutely. And I don't brutal. know if that – I mean, that, that – for a any, I don't know if a group five kid's ever done that to an Alabama defender uh, again in the last fifteen years. Well, since uh, I guess Auburn is Auburn in the group of five. Oh, you saying group? I guess a group of five. Sorry, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't. Again, I don't think Sean Sean Shivers, man. <laughs> I know he was play. very small, like yeah. as in playing for a small, yeah. group, but. Uh, but not a group of five. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no. Again, I don't think a, a group of five player has done that to a band player. Period. Uh, so, again, there's some weird stuff going on there. And I don't know. Are you getting any sort of feeling about how that Alabama Ole Miss game is going to go? No. Um, <laughs> I, the thing is, I, I, I'm just, I, I kind of have it in my head that Alabama is going to figure it out. I, right. They've got some deficiencies there. I get it. But it's still a Nick Saban coach team. I, and I that staff that he's got around them. I, I just I have this sneaky suspicion they're gonna figure it out, and it may be this weekend. It could be one of those where they just absolutely blow Ole Miss out of the water, and everybody's like, "Well, here, Bama's back." I, I just I have a feeling that they're gonna have one of those weeks where it's like, okay, flex, all, flex muscles. Yeah, yeah, all is all is back right with the college football world. Is this is you know they had a rough patch to begin the season, but all is back well. Bama's back. I think they're just they're vastly too talented across the board. Like I said, there are deficiencies there. I get it. The quarterback thing that is an issue. But they've, I mean, they haven't just stopped recruiting at a high level. They've still got amazing talent all over that field. I I just think they're going to eventually figure it out. They're just trying to figure it out right now. So. Uh, it could be this weekend. I don't know that, but getting them in Tuscaloosa, I think if this game was in Oxford, I'd be a lot more worried for them. But I think with it being in Tuscaloosa, that this is a game that they're you're going to finally see Alabama flex their muscles a little bit, and then it's like, okay, well, here we go. I think offense won't be the thing that loses Alabama this game. Ole Miss's defense is better than it's been in the past. It's still not great. Um, so I think Alabama is going to be able to put up points, especially because, I mean, they put up points on Texas. They're going to be able to put up points on Ole Miss, I think. I'm interested to see how well, if at all, can they stop Ole Miss's offense? Because Ole Miss's offense has been on fire all year. They've been really good. Um, and I know that they've played some lesser teams. But I don't know. If, if Nick Saban – can find a way to stop Ole Miss's offense, then yeah, I think oh, I think Alabama can put enough, enough points to win that game. I just don't know if they can right now. Uh, it's it's so weird to think of this as like Alabama's more talented, but Ole Miss still has a bunch of talent, and Ole Miss has this offense that can put up a billion points and seven billion yards, and and I just don't know if Alabama has the offense to keep up with it. That's where I think the issue is going to come in. If Ole Miss can get into a shootout with Alabama. I think Ole Miss can pull it out. 
It's just a matter of can can they make it that kind of game? Well, and again, we we've gone full preview mode, and yeah, I didn't intend to. Well, but, this is the, this is all right. I've got. This is all I've got. <laughs> but again, I, I think it's fair when again I like to give everybody the opportunity, no matter if they're only last day of the week's on a Monday, Wednesday, whatever. Well, this, this is when your your chance to talk about it. Um, my thing is, and it will always it will always be this way with Kiffin. How is it situationally? They'll accrue yards sure but will they actually capitalize in the red zone will they get that fourth and two you know will when they go for them fourth and three at midfield when no one else would will they get that that that's what it's always going to come down for me because alabama i don't think that they've all of a sudden become some useless defensive team because they they south florida they've stymied south florida and they should but i'm just saying like they're off Alabama's offense was so bad against south florida if South Florida, South Florida had some competence to it, they could have actually lost the game. Like it, it got to that point, and so they they to me are not some lost, hopeless defense. They do have a couple problems in the back end, and Texas exposed that. And Ole Miss will certainly try to air it out deep a few times to test that. But if Ole Miss gets in a bunch of red zone opportunities. Will they actually capitalize? Because when Ole Miss, as great as it hums along from 20 to 20, with the speed, the tempo, uh, the spread, all that stuff, once it gets hemmed in, we just talked about it with Auburn earlier, spread offense is in red zone, and that affects Ole Miss a lot. Some spread offenses still get over it. They're still fine. But Ole Miss has more problems than average when they get inside the 20, and that's going to determine that game. Uh, But certainly – Alabama leaking a little bit. We'll see how it goes with Milrow again in another big game against Ole Miss. Again, the fortunate thing for Alabama is they they took them on the head last year in, in terms of playing a lot of road games. So this year they got all these big games at home, Ole Miss, LSU, and uh, even Tennessee if you still want to consider that one. I don't know if, what Tennessee's stock is after week three. I, I knew crowd would matter in that game. I did not think it would lead to a, a, a two-score victory. Uh, in that one so that's another thing and sec continues to just do some unimpressive things uh some of its biggest teams i mean what yeah. we're down to what are we down to we're down to georgia missouri auburn and old miss and old miss yeah. are the only undefeated teams right yep and uh, georgia you understand and that's sure. gonna that's gonna last a while uh i mean by all means go blazers this weekend <laughs> uh but it's not happening for uab they 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 can't stop anything uh, Brooks is out in the hall, full disclosure, trying to say hook him. That, that's next year. Next year, yeah. Wait, wait, one more year. Trying, trying to say Texas is undefeated. Hey, you could go on Oklahoma, too, by the way. Just saying. They're actually uh, looking pretty good. Yeah, Oklahoma's slinging around. That Oklahoma-Texas game, that's, gonna uh, be interesting. that's back, yeah. to, back to mattering absolutely. this year. That will absolutely matter. Uh, so... But yeah, Georgia understandable. Auburn, sure, we projected it. Not a, not a robust first three games. No. Missouri did not see it. Uh, did not think they'd beat Kansas State, but sixty-one well, yard, field, yep. yard field goal. And then uh, Ole Miss, sure, uh, they had you know a couple of interesting games against uh, Georgia Tech and, and Tulane, but still games that not shocking that they won. So uh, they, again, the SEC is that because it has dropped a certain amount this year and lost so many non-conference games. If they get into cannibalization mode. I mean, there's going to be some weird win-loss totals, and there's going to be not many teams 
uh, getting the double digits this year and wins if uh, if it keeps going like this. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll get to best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. Getting set to do best and worst of the weekend here in just a moment. But before we do, let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you this afternoon? Doing good. And you guys? Doing well. You know, I saw Adam Weingarten, if I'm not mistaken, an article on him. Uh, he had some players that were player of the week or whatnot and got some kind of uh, certificate or meal or something from some restaurant, and the players were uh, ruling eligible. You guys heard anything from that? No. I, I have, have I've not, not heard that. By the Alabama State High School Athletic Association, y'all hadn't heard anything uh, concerning anything? No, anything I had, hadn't seen First that at all. I've heard of this, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I did see that. I, was, I didn't know if it was true or not, so that's why I was asking you guys. But I wasn't thinking about it print a false story, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I, again, I, I wish I, this was not even on my radar. Uh, I can't uh, – we'll, we'll check on it for you for sure okay. here. But uh, coming into this conversation, I had not heard about that. All right. Well, as far as college football is concerned, <laughs> I tell you, I was bored to death uh, uh Saturday, the rain delay to save me because I went on to the gym when it had the rain delay and when, uh, worked out a little bit and come on back later on and, and saw the end. But uh, wasn't nothing to be uh, bragging about, I can tell you this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know the rain delay. I was I was in the area uh, at that time again. I go to the Bucks games on Sunday, so uh, it was absolutely pouring down there, and uh, they had lightning in the whole nine yards and video of Saban walking very wet and tiredly <laughs> into the tunnel and and all that and yeah it was just uh it was not ideal you know I, I tell you they got talent but it's a young team uh don't have that policy that experience uh haven't been really developed like uh, in years past and you know that plays a big major role and everything you know the offensive line just ain't the best they big i mean you know 360 guy i think the heaviest guy is 360 the guy to him is 330 320 and 310 i mean it's all the beef is there but it's just not ready and then you got an inexperienced quarterback on top of that 
And, you know, uh, I tell you, it's tough to sit and watch that kind of football when you've been spoiled all the way from 2008 to, to up until now with championships every couple of years, or whether it be a conference title or a national title or, or even a big bowl game on a, on a big January day, you know, if nothing else. I mean, that's just what we've got accustomed to. I mean, you know, uh, again, uh, that sort of just win, 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 beat everybody down and collect all the hardware and all the national awards that, that a player could possibly want and all the attention. And, and now you're in a game struggling with a team that, that probably had no business even on national television. Yeah, oh yeah, I know it's safe to say South Florida would would not have been on on ESPN or ABC or anything like that if they had they were not playing Alabama and yeah, no, it's but again, it's they could still redeem this season. I know it does not look great, but uh, you know, th- with one loss, it's still everything's on the table. Well, you know, I, I tell you, it's going to be tough because you get in that conference slate and you got teams that going to have offensive line that they might not be as big as yours, but they got that polish. I mean, everything's clicking on all cylinders. They got that leadership they need, and and you know they're gonna battle and battle, and at the end, probably gonna come out and beat you. Cause I mean, you know, you, they looking to hey bring in a big team, Alabama. They looking to make a name for themselves. I mean, you got the biggest uh, program of all programs uh, from a week to week basis. If you know, if it ain't the Georgia Bulldogs, Alabama, you can't get no bigger than that every weekend. And you got teams like Ole Miss that. They ain't the old Miss teams of 30 years ago. These teams are winning now on a consistent basis. They can go bowling every year now. And, that, you know, it's just a difference now. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. If Alabama get bowl eligible, it may be a miracle this year. It just may oh, be a miracle. Oh, I wouldn't go. I mean, no. Nah. Nah, I think Bama's going to be fine. I'm just going to tell you, man. Yeah, well, if they go 5-7, and seven, I'll owe you steak dinner. How does that sound? Well, well, I had a workout. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, though. I'll talk to y'all later. Sounds good, Anthony. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. That is Anthony calling from Auburn, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. So, uh, the the high school thing he was talking about, I got here. Uh, Tuscaloosa County football forfeited its week, week two victory over Bessemer City. Uh, school self-reported incidents turned to the Alabama High School Athletic Association. Uh, two Tuscaloosa County players received gift cards from Buffalo Wild Wings after being named Players of the Week in the win over Bessemer City. Uh, so they reported it. They were uh, forfeited the game, were ruled ineligible, but the two players have now been reinstated. So Okay. There you go. There you go. So that's the uh, – he's at Tuscaloosa County, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, left from Auburn High and right. went to Tuscaloosa right. County. All right. So time uh, – so appreciate that phone call from Anthony. Had a, a good number of calls today on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Let's get to today's best and worst of the weekend. Now time for the best. Woo-hoo! And worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. I have an obvious best. My worst is silly. Uh, take that with what you will. Do you want to go best or worst, Tom? I'll go best. Okay, um, best start. I, just the the Colorado Colorado State game. That was just that was an incredible game, incredible atmosphere, chippy. Uh, just everything that led into it with uh, what Colorado State's coach uh, said, referencing Deion Sanders and bad blood between both teams and then of course it comes down to the wire they have to make a comeback win score a touchdown with 30 something seconds left win it in double overtime they storm the field uh i mean it was just that was we'd said it before and it's that Deion sanders effect never ever 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 would i have thought that i would be that in tuned to a colorado versus colorado state game but that was must watch tv and i was must watching it and all the way down to the last second. So that that was just 
That was college football. If you like college football, that right there was college football at it. I don't want to say at its best, but atmosphere-wise and just down to the wire, and that's, that's about as good as you can get. I, I'm not going to make it. I know we're in the middle of best. I'm not going to make it my worst. I did want to mention, though, that I did think it was absolutely stupid they rushed the field against Colorado State. <laughs> oh, no, I get it. Uh, because and it all, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I still want that to mean something and like, right. oh, you did something really cool. You beat your Mountain West rival who you were supposed to beat easily in overtime. Like, I, I you could have argued that Nebraska, they shouldn't even know then, but at least I was okay. That was the first win and, and what, you know, at home and whatever. You don't, if they start rushing the field every game, we need to, we yeah. need to have a conversation. I, about I, that. th- That's, I think it, I think the difference there, and I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt here. They obviously they were amped up just for that game. If that had been a game that was already in hand through the fourth quarter and and they were just taking a knee to end it, they wouldn't rush the field. I think it was that excitement of the walk off, the the sudden boom, it's over, right. walk off type win, and just that exuberance and you jump out there on the field. Like I said, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. on that, that. That's what it was. All right. Auburn should have stormed it after Jacksonville State 2015. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brent, what'd you got? Yeah. It, 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 you know, touching on that, I. I don't want to be the fun police, but uh, I, I know I got a little yeah. policey there. But. Yeah, I, 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 I'm never going to like frown on people having a good time. It was a little weird that they did storm the field, but double overtime, rival, all the atmosphere, all the pregame stuff. I get the excitement behind it, but I, I just think going forward, let's have let's have standards. Uh, my best of the weekend is going to be uh, one that it hasn't been, I don't think ever. The Atlanta Falcons um, are my best of the weekend. Down 24 to 12 going into the fourth quarter, and they end up winning 25 24. Uh, I'm not used to the Falcons winning the fourth quarter. I'm not used to them winning the second half. Uh, and this is a very nice change of pace. Um, now, you've done it against two offenses that are starting new quarterbacks, but you are also an offense that's starting a new quarterback. So you've got that going for you. Uh, Falcons are 2 0 for the first time since 2017, I think. Um, but uh, I, I really liked that showing from Atlanta. Uh, I wish they could string four good quarters together instead of just two. But I, I think uh, two two wins is two wins. Zero losses is the best a number of losses you can have. Yeah, well, so, amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I uh, my win my win, my best of the weekend. Sure. Bless me is uh, going to be the Atlanta Falcons winning yeah. over the Green Bay Packers. And, and hey, B. John's looking really good, too. B. John Robinson is yeah. a freak, man. Yeah. I, kn- I knew he was good. I didn't expect him to look as good as he has looked so far. Yeah, Glad I have him on my fantasy team. Yeah, as you, one, should. One of them. as you should. As you should. What is it? What did he, I think he had like... Buck 20. Yeah, two... Yeah. Oh, I don't know what he had receiving, but of, no rushing, total yeah. offense, like yeah. 180, 190, and scored a touchdown, too, yeah. I believe. So a great multi-threat running back, for sure. Absolutely. My best of the weekend, also NFC South related. Uh, I've had a great time in Tampa this weekend. Good to be back there uh, for another season. Uh, obviously, the game went really well, but the weekend went well in general. Eating, hotel, trip, traffic, everything. Checked all the boxes. Really good trip uh, down to the area this weekend. And, uh, yeah, I still just value every opportunity. Uh, the Bucks are also off to a two-no start, so excited about that. But just again, more than anything, just glad that uh, can keep doing that and look forward to doing all year, win or loss. Yeah. So uh, surprising two-no start. I thought they'd beat the Bears. I didn't think they'd beat the Vikings. Uh, the Bears, but, are, 
Uh, you know, Baker's playing really well. I know. So, after I, yeah. after I just talked so much crap about him. Yeah. Before the season. Oh, I of course, it, it wasn't yeah. just me talking <laughs> crap. It was I, yeah. I was referencing one of the writers. Yeah. That was well, talking w- crap. Was about it him. Peter King? That you were referencing, I don't I remember. Because Peter King has a vendetta against Baker Mayfield. Okay. I don't know; just doesn't like him. He said they the Bucks would go two and fifteen this year. Right? Uh, they still could. I don't think so. Uh, they have to lose fifteen in a in a row. Uh, but but yeah, no. Again, I understood what the point was. But uh, anyway, we'll see how you could be wrong. We'll see. Well, again, still got fifteen more games to go, so mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not counting any chickens. They have not hatched. All right, worst of the weekend. Uh, all right, so my worst of the weekend, I know it really – well, it doesn't matter right now. It could matter if they don't get it fixed. But, I mean, the Atlanta Braves getting swept by the Marlins. But the biggest thing with that is you get swept in a three-game series by the tune of 36-13. to 13. You gave up 36 runs to the Dadgum Marlins. Can I say that about 10 of those Oof. yesterday were off of guys that are – well, I know. I, I mean, but, they, they basically told Derek Rodriguez, you're going to pitch right. until we tell you not to, <laughs> and then you're going to be designated for assignment. Yeah. And that's what happened. And then Nicky Lopez threw an inning in the field. So, I still, I'm sorry. I just uh, Three I, games in baseball, I'll just never. I know, it. but I don't like to see it, but especially after you, you come off of that win over the Phillies back on September the 13th, you win the division. I get it. You lose six to nine. The next one, it's like okay, they partied a little too much on the plane. They're you know, I get it. They're still literally probably hungover from the celebration of that. But then you turn around, and get beat eleven to five and sixteen to two, and it's like, uh, hmm, <laughs> oh boy, here we go. I will, I will care. And, if it but Acuna, goes has, next Acuna has also not been in. I think he's right. he's back tonight. Acuna's supposed to be back tonight. They get they're back at home. Uh, maybe they'll get it. Right, yeah. where you just chalk that three game up like we did early in the season. There were some of those that we were just like, hmm, how'd you lose that series? But you don't want to like start slumping right here before. Also, you, get you got to remember what was at stake in that series. And for the Braves, it's very little to nothing. And the Marlins sure. are in the middle of a wild card race where they're a half out of a playoff yeah. spot, or may, they might be in a playoff spot now. They were a half out uh, as of the other day. So. But I mean, you don't yeah. want to. You don't. I understand. No, I understand. You don't want to screw yeah. around and lose lose sure. out that best record type yeah. thing with the Dodgers. But again, but I, I, I definitely, I, I said on the show they were going to lose that series. I did not think necessarily be swept, but right. Again, it, it had all the makings of you're going to phone phone one in. So again, we'll, let's let's see how it goes this week. Brant, your worst of the weekend. Yeah, I, I'm not going to panic about the Braves quite yet. But uh, my worst of the weekend, uh, the U.S. military lost a plane. They found it a little while ago. Oh, did, oh, did they? they? Yeah, I I knew that, I knew that like just a stealth fighter had <laughs> gone missing somewhere in South Carolina, and that was where the story ended, as far as I knew. So I don't know. I guess the stealth system works. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That was very weird to me that the jet. How do you lose a plane? Well, it was, weird. It was like the guy, Where, did, they did find it. Though? They did find it. At, they found a debris field in some field out in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. And like, hey, there it is. Ah, so, all right. But That'll the pilot, the pilot hit. The pilot ejected. There was something that went wrong with. I think that I read there's like something went wrong with the transponder or there was something mechanical, and he ejected out. But he apparently had it on autopilot, and so it was still just flying. <laughs> <laughs> he just. <laughs> He just bails out of this jet on an autopilot. So it kept going until it ran out of gas? Probably. (laughs) So it's a a stealth jet 
with the transponder off. So you can't pick it up on radar. Nobody has a clue where this thing is at. And it's just flying on autopilot because the pilot ejected out. <laughs> no, it's but, like, well, remember how everyone was looking up the plane that went across Jordan Hare on Saturday? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that sucker was low. Yeah. I saw the videos yeah, of that. that uh, sitting, sitting in the press box, I was kind of nervous for There's like nothing a good stealthy five about seconds. That one. Just like, is that, is, that thing, is that thing high enough? Are we, are we safe here? Okay. We were. That, it was low. I, I did see the video of it because, again, I know that there was guessing of what it was and can you do that. It's a KC-135, I think it's yeah. called. Yeah. Refueling. A refueler jet. So that, that was cool, though. Uh, my worst of the weekend, I didn't think of anything extra deep or extra silly. I just suck at sunscreen. It's just <laughs> I'm just not good at it. I just don't put it. Uh, I, I just I, I just miss a spot every single time. And so if you saw me right now, it's not like I'm a tomato. I'm, I'm still fine. <laughs> it's, it's, but I did such a good job with 97% of it. And it, underneath my eye, eyebrows, or underneath my eyes, excuse me, uh, Brant, you likened it to eye black, but yeah. it, except it's red. It looks like you have eye yeah. black yeah. Like, directly under your eyes. It, it looks, it looks we're, like we're you, all red raiders It today. looks like you rubbed yeah. poison ivy directly yeah. under your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so again, I just I don't know why I always miss that one spot, but I'm walking proof that someone says, oh, yeah, I always that one thing or that one spot. Yeah, it's me. Every time there's one spot that I miss. And uh, There's a, a funny one that happened with me, a sun, lack of sunscreen uh, back when I went bass fishing one time. I'm bald-headed. I normally put sunscreen on my head. Uh, I guess I – failed to do so now i put it on like my ears and my face and my nose and everything but like my head i didn't think about it because i had a hat on however it was a mesh back hat oh so uh i had the very distinct sunburn pattern of the <laughs> mesh hat across the back of my head the, the guy yeah they, i got made fun of that one for quite a while like I had, how yeah, long did that one I, last it's not very long because i mean it's still covered but i still had like red polka dots across the back of my head from where just that, the mesh part of the hat, I got sunburned. That kind of reminds me, when I played football in high school, our practice jerseys were kind of like that mesh pattern. Uh-huh. And if I didn't have an undershirt on, I would get sunburned like on my upper arms. And it, it, it gave the same kind of pattern, just dotted sunburn. That's crazy. See, I always, uh, always got to be careful of you wear these things that are kind of loose. So when you sit down, they kind of ride a jersey, up a little bit. Right? I was wearing a jersey, but then also when you're shorts, you know, they're a little bit longer when you stand up. They ride up just yeah. a little bit. You sit down, so you've got to get a little bit more than what's actually covered when you're standing. And I've done a really good job of that recently. And I'm just like, hey, what if I get my nose, ears, chin, neck, forehead, and just forget about right below the eyes? So I don't know. I just take L's in the sunscreen uh, department. And even <laughs> even at uh, at Raymond James Stadium they have sunscreen stations too. So oh, if I cool. had known my error, you know, I've could have I could have gone and saved it, but alas. Uh anyway, a uh, little uh, little silly worst right there. Final minute or two of the show for this Monday afternoon time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. All right, Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. As mentioned, Atlanta Braves back in action tonight, 620 on Valley Sports South. Braves hosting the Phillies, the team they just clinched on last week. They now play a three-game set at Truist Park. Ronald Kenyon Jr. is back in the lineup. We'll see how he fares after a couple 
a game's miss due to a slight uh, small injury. So, again, that's 620 Valley Sports South. National Football League tonight got a doubleheader. Only one's on the graphic, but there's two of them. 615 New Orleans Saints, Carolina Panthers. That one is on ESPN at Bank of America Stadium. And uh, J.J. Jackson will be in attendance to that. So root on the Panthers on J.J.'s behalf. Also, 720 tonight on ABC. Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers. Big AFC North matchup, especially with the uh, Bengals off to 0-2 start. Maybe some ground to gain there for either the Browns or the Steelers. So, again, both NFL games, 615 ESPN, 720 on ABC. And uh, then a couple movie picks for you. Red 2, 6 o'clock on Sci-Fi. Banger. 6.15 Star Wars Episode 9 on TNT. And a, the, not a banger. Not a banger. Mid. Mid. <laughs> not great. And then 6.30 on FX, it's The Proposal. And that is... Never seen it. Uh, Sandra Bullock and... She's good. Ryan Reynolds. Oh, he's great. It's a good rom-com. I don't watch many. That one's good, though. And that's I, like, I like both of those actors. That is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. And that will do it for the show today. Brant, thank you for being here, sir. I hope the rest of your week goes quite well, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you for having me. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here this afternoon. We'll see you again tomorrow. I will be here. Enjoyed it. That will do it for the show this afternoon. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brant Daughtry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.